When most people think about Hawaii, they imagine a tropical paradise full of tiki torches and tourists. But what you're about to hear isn't a story about that Hawaii. It's a story of off-the-grid survival. Some of it is uncomfortable. Some of it may make you question your own reality. But all of it is real. This is the story of Keon Kalani and the time he left Memphis on a Greyhound with a plane ticket to the island of lost souls. Let's get lost. Talking to myself again Wondering if this traveling is good Is there something better doing We'd be doing if we could And all the stories we could tell And if this all blows up and goes to hell Well I hope that we can sit back on a bed in some motel Sing you all the stories Welcome back, everyone, to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, a writer for TravelChannel.com, National Geographic, Curiosity Magazine, Bassmaster Magazine, and I'm the founder of Sold Outside, which you can read at SoldOutBlog.com. I'm here with a very special guest. He is a wilderness survival expert, an explorer, and a rock climber who spent a fair amount of his life as well in education. His name is Keon Kalani. Hey, Keon. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Um, We'll dive right into it, man. The reason we're here today is because you have an incredible story that I think is going to blow people's minds. I get a lot of that. And to be honest with you, this is the first time I'm really willing to be truly open about it. Most of the people who hear about it and come ask me, I really refer to this old Buddhist quote from Buddha where one of his students led three people to him, and he gave a different answer to each one. And they asked about God. He said yes to one, no to one, and maybe to another one. His student said, why did you do that? You're the Buddha. You could have given the right answer. He said, yeah, I'm the Buddha. I'm I'm not supposed to give them the right answer. I gave them the answer that they wanted to hear. And a lot of times I gave them that because I was there for a long time, and I have a 30-second conversation with someone, and if I know that they need some reaffirmation in a certain way, I'll give them a certain story. But each story has so many things that lead into it and out of it that oftentimes I left the conversation being like, they have no idea. They have no idea what it meant for me, what had actually happened, and how deep the story of life can really go. It's true. So Keon and I met at Memphis Rock's Rock Climbing Gym, which is now a recurring theme on the podcast. Uh, Malik the Martian, who also works there, uh, was in on our third episode. Which He's very a- interesting. Super, super interesting guy. Um, but I think you might even have a more interesting story that it sort of goes back to the roots of my own journey where mm. I left a city, went and lived out of a tent around the country for a couple of months. You did something even more amazing. You not only left the city, you flew over the Pacific, went to Hawaii, and lived in the woods. Yeah, and... Full disclaimer, um, 
totally in the woods, about a mile and a half into the bush. Um, I didn't have a tent. I had a machete. I had clothes. And I was taking a jar of peanut butter. And I wanted to talk about that jar of peanut butter because it was very pivotal. And if you don't mind, I want to explain to you why I ended up having no money when I got there and what that ultimately ended up meaning and what money came to mean to me. But Let's talk about it. Just walk us through the entire saga. So it was, and, and you know, if I asked you what you ate for lunch yesterday, you wouldn't know. So what was it? Um, what I ate for lunch yesterday was probably a uh, salad. Yeah, chicken salad. Do you remember where the chicken pieces were on the salad? No. No. Some, some of the details to me, I'm like, each, you know, I, I remember something super vividly, and I'll tell you what those were. And some things were just a part of the journey. Right. So that's just the, that's a disclaimer. But, cool. Um, a lot of synchronicities were happening. A lot of things were pointing me to do this. And uh, from before that, there was a lot of darkness in my life, a lot of death, real death of really close friends, a huge separation, huge, not just an identity crisis, but a having to pick a side between USA and Iran in right. every conversation. It right. was like, yo, here's a taco. Who, which side of the war are you going to be on? It's like, what war? You know, like, so, yeah, taco. so give us a time frame. Also, I guess we should say that um, Kiana is born in Iran. So that's something that's going to play a big factor into this. Totally. And, as, I mean, you have to be totally, like, away from television to not see that, like, there is this huge, it's almost a farce now. Like, so many, so many people are now born into a generation of this country being at war that they don't even know what it was like before. But I did. And I remember when, it, when all that changed and everything changed. Everyone had to pick a side. But when you're a kid, you don't see that way, you know? At least I didn't. So after so many unfortunate events and me just being very fed up with the system of life, like it's clear to everyone that society isn't life itself. It's just the safe way to live life. And I'm okay with anyone doing that until it gets to a point of war, until it gets to a point of treachery, until it gets to all these things that we have built in that we don't think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. just in the past few years, we're really listening to minorities. But before that, it was like, oh, yeah, life is good for some. It's not that good for others. And that was a fact. And everything else was swept under the rug. And a lot of what you saw in media and that propagated throughout even like laws within the country sort of reflected that, do you think? A hundred percent. Not only did it just reflect that in the laws, people were making decisions around it. And if they weren't making decisions around it, if their life didn't pertain to it, you could pick it up in conversation. And it's like, to some people, it didn't mean that much. But when you're looking for the meaning of life as you're growing up and you're meeting people who are just, you know, they might as well be the guy on the TV. Well, you're like, I can't find the meaning of life with you. I'm not going to earn a paycheck finding the meaning of life with you. And then when, you know, I had close friends die, two of them, two very close friends. So after that, I was like, well, okay. I mean, you know, my, 
my family, they were, they were doing fine. They were set in their ways. I was kind of, I wouldn't call myself like the black sheep, but I was definitely marching to a symphony that was written like a long time ago in a galaxy far away, like something else. Yeah. And when these synchronicities started happening, when I started really searching for a different way to live life, and it was all pointing me to going to this island in the middle of nowhere, I accepted because anything was better than the life that was around me. So why Hawaii? One is that I did not want to get locked out of the United States because I'm a dual citizen. Right. I was afraid that I'd go to Guam or I even go to like, you know, one of those territories that they're going to be like, you know, this guy, he's Iranian. He's not choosing the United States and we're going to lock him out. I went to Hawaii because I still had kind of a chance to make my way back if all else went south. So you figured I'm going to go on a on a very intentional like spiritual journey to a place that I've never been. You strategically pick it because you have these harsh realities, you know, yeah, of being a dual citizen where you know that if you go out and you have to come back through border patrol, who knows what's going to happen. So that's that was a big part of it. The other part was the fact that all the signs were saying go here. Every everything that I was researching Everything that I was looking into, it was like, this is where you need to be. This is where you can do this. This is where you can actually find out what you're trying to do. And I went for it. Um, Not to mention the types of like, you know, I would, I wanted to go to Molokai because it was not really inhabited. And I mean, there was few people, but it was mainly forest. Right. So I could become a part of the forest. There. So this is one of the smaller islands in the Hawaiian chain? It's actually technically the middle island. So okay. there's five islands. Well, it's kind of like six, but like five main islands. And that's the middle point. And so to me, I was like, you know, I'm all about symbols and everything. I was like, this is the the meeting point of the, the infinity. So yeah. That's, a, that's where it's going to happen. Makes sense. So what was your plan when you took off? Did you even have a plan? I didn't really have a plan. I had just saved up some money. I had, I was in such a, I don't know if any, anyone listening or if you have been really depressed, but eating food when your mind is so down is not a joy. You don't want to do the things that give you life, and food is the main thing. So I had basically brought my like eating to like a minimum, mm-hmm. and which was, which was very strange for me because like, I work out twice a day. I played rugby. I mean, eating was like the thing. Yeah. So I had basically figured out like all I really need is, you know, some some peanut butter. Like and I can make it another six hours, right? So I had a jar of peanut butter, I had some money saved up, I had a bag and I had a machete. Um and some clothes and a plastic tarp. That's all that that's all I knew about the wilderness and that's all I could do. What was in the bag? So I had, in the bag was clothes, I put a machete, and I put my tarp. That was it? That was it. I had a backpack, and in that backpack I had some other clothes, some like writing stuff, and a jar of peanut butter. So somehow, when I left Memphis, oh, oh th- that's why, I got into Memphis, I got, I left Memphis on a bus, so I was taking a bus all the way out to California. Okay. I was planning on being in Hawaii with like 500 bucks in my pocket. I was like, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. 
So I took a bus and we get to San Antonio, Texas, and the lady says, yeah, the next bus won't happen for three days. And, and there was ice storms and it was crazy. And I was what like, time of year is this? This is December. Okay. December 12th. And there's ice storms in San Antonio, Texas? Yeah. Wow. Actually, all, all of the southeast to Texas is all like snowstorm, ice storm. We drove through it. And uh, it was really risky, like, just getting on that Greyhound. You know, I really hadn't been exposed to the world. And I was, like, looking at people. And I was, like, these are definitely people who are going across state lines because they're criminals. There's no doubt in my mind. Not that I had anything against them being a criminal. I just was, like, no, this guy, like, doesn't have a 9 to 5, basically. Right. So everyone looks sketchy. Super sketchy. I mean, it all started off just so sketchy. I mean, it couldn't. If I was looking for signs. Signs would be like, stay home. You know, it, as soon as I made the decision to do this, it felt like everything pushed against me, like including the weather, the weather, myself. But I was just sitting down in one place to another. So I get in this bus and I'm going to San Antonio. I get there and I'm like, okay, well, they're not going to get me on my next bus to get to, um, where is it? Not San Diego, some, some St. Some saintly city in California. That was my connecting flight to Hawaii. Okay. So I was like, okay, I have like 500 bucks. I'm researching flights to that city from where I'm at. And they're all like 800 bucks. And then one of them is $420. And you have 500 bucks. I got 500 bucks and I just laughed. I was like, 420. This has got to be a joke, right? Like, <laughs> right. This is a sign. This is a sign because it's funny, mm-hmm. I guess, or something. Something along the lines of it was blatant. It was like, hey, here's your fucking sign. All right, go. So I bought the ticket. And I mean, talk about like, you think you have anxiety when you start a journey. But then when you have to like double up monetarily on your decision, then you're just like, I'm in it. You know, like here it is. I got, I turned my phone off. Like I was like, "I'm, I'm not looking back, you know. And so I get on this flight, it flies to Seattle, lands for like 20 minutes, and uh, it goes back down to, I honestly think it was San Diego. I don't know why the name's blanking, but I land there and I have like 14 hours until my flight. Right. So I, and of course the airport is like, we're closing at midnight. I was like, what do you mean you're closing at midnight? What kind of airport closes? It's a small one. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you want to fly to Hawaii, like, wait your turn or whatever. So you have to get out of the airport? I had to get out of the airport. So my, my, the bag that I had checked that had my machete and my clothes in it was already, like, you know, it was already en route. Right. Because um, I connected. And I had my backpack, which had food and peanut butter. Well, at least you had the peanut butter, thank God. Yeah, that's the problem. So, <laughs> so all I had, the only places that were open was this weird casino and a Denny's. And I'm telling you, I was in that Denny's for like three minutes. I was like, they're going to rob me. <laughs> this, this, is, this is crazy. It was the sketchiest thing I've ever seen. It was this dude. It was, it was like two dudes asleep and this dude yelling at a girl at a table. And I mean, I was like, I can't handle this. That remember. says a lot, like living in Memphis and then getting sketched out by a Denny's. It had to be like the world's scariest Denny's. Yeah, I don't know about that, but also people give Memphis a really bad rap. 
It's like, this place is like iconic for being like, oh yeah, your life sucks. Well, it could be worse. You could be living in Memphis. It's like, no, this place is great. Like, yeah, it's num- awesome. Don't yeah. tell anyone. It's our secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't like, come here. Don't come here. It's terrible. There's no water left. If you go to Nashville and just meet people at bars, they find out you're from Memphis. They're like, they got scared, back. right? Yeah, yeah, they get scared. They're like, are you gonna stab me now or later? Like, <laughs> it's like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you anything you want. Like. Uh, a drink will be nice. A drink will be nice. Or just stab me after this conversation, you know, like, way to kill a buzz, man. Yeah. No, so it's, anyway. all, it's all over. It's crazy. So you're in this Denny's. So I'm in this Denny's. I'm like, I'm going to the casino. I go to the casino and, you know, I'm like young. I'm still young, single, still single. And I'm looking at, I'm like, I'm like, oh man, girls interested in me. I've never really been to a casino before. Okay. Oh, great. So, like, so this is like Vegas vacation, sort of. Yeah, except like in four hours, I lose like 20 bucks. And those 20 bucks are like critical for me, you know? That's like a, a third of what you have left. Yeah, it's a third of what I have left because I'm just sitting down next to a girl and they're like, if you want to sit at this table, you got to play a hand. So I'm like, I'll play a hand. So I'm sitting there and I'm freaking out because I know I can't do anything with the money I have left. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't do any. I have $30 left to my name. And you're at a casino. What a casino. It's the worst place to be. And there's no other place open other than me being out in the street and it is cold. So, and I have to stay awake to catch my flight to get back to the airport. So what do you do? I don't do anything. I sit down and I'm telling you, God sends the most annoying human being I've ever met in my life to tell me his life story about how he lost everything gambling. And I mean, it was the saddest it was like being subjected to the saddest dude's story ever. He's like, yeah, I have a girlfriend who gives me money to gamble once a week. That's her deal. She gives me a little bit of money to gamble. I've already lost everything. What's the point? I'm like, what do you do in return for this relationship? Yeah. What, like, what are you putting in? <laughs> yeah. She gives you money to lose while gambling? He's like, I always lose. I always lose. Stop. I still remember this guy. I was like, man, this is like super depressing. And I, I swear to God, I almost gave him some money to gamble for You've only got $30. <laughs> I was like, if I give this guy 10 bucks, he might know how to win some more money. You know? And no, I'm, he always loses. You know, he, he was telling me blatantly, he's like, I always lose, man. And he like, hey, dude, God bless that guy. Because honestly, he kept me awake. All right? Okay. He, he kept me awake the whole time. And at this point, I no longer look. Nice. I look like a homeless dude. Right. I got a big beard. My hair is poofy. My clothes are wrinkled. I don't smell good. Going to the airport, right? Like no valor in me, and I, I feel like I'm like so tired. And I go up to the, go up to the place where they're checking my stuff, and immediately they take the peanut butter out. They're like, can't get, a, can't leave with this thing. No. Yeah. No. No, it's all you have. That's all I have to eat. Yeah. No. I have gum. I still remember. I have I had gum. I had gum helped. But I had a pack of gum, and I was like, I was like, I literally looked at him. I was like, you're going to kill me. And he goes, what do you mean, man? I'm like, I need this. Like, I need to eat, you know? He's like, you can't take peanut butter on an airplane. And I was like, oh, God forbid. I, so I don't know how you hurt somebody with peanut butter. Yeah. Um, they may have a peanut allergy. No, oh, peanut allergies. Yeah. I, I picked the flight with the pilot who had the peanut allergies. Probably. You caught me. Fuck you. Yeah. So, going to Hawaii. Going to Hawaii. Joke's on you. Yeah, yeah, joke's on you, man. So I land. I land in Oahu. 
and I immediately hate the place. I mean, I, I like... It's going well so far for you, Keon. There's, here's the worst part. I'm like looking at the ocean for hours, being like, I thought Hawaii was like a boat ride away from California, you know? Right. It's not. It's in the middle of all continents. It's far away. It's not near anything. It's not near anything. And then when you land, you, it's like might as well be another planet because it's just like, what the fuck do you do here? <laughs> With no peanut butter. With no food. Damn it. No food. I literally have a machete in my back. I'm like, I'm one step away from being the worst dude on this island. You know, like, worst off. Worst possible choices ahead of me. No money. No plan. Nothing. And I'm on the wrong island. And I hate this island. I hate it because all I see are, is like, it's like, might as well be a really big park with some really expensive buildings. Because it's, it's so touristy? It's so touristy. And not to mention, like, I can't tell you how many, like, 60-year-old dudes I saw with, like, 20-year-old women. I'm like, well, I, I see the industry here, you know? Yeah. I'm, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. I'm like, what, do you, what am I going to do for work here? Just be labor? You know, might as well be back in Memphis where at least I know people. Right. You know? So immediately, like, I got I to gotta get to Molokai. The flight from Oahu to Molokai is $25. Like, How, wait, do you even have $25? Yeah, I have 30 You have 30 bucks. Okay. I have 30 crisp dollars. And I, I, you know, do this, get in a small airplane, feeling like shit, smelling like shit. I'm sitting there. Five, I'm looking at a $5 bill. And not even five. You know, it's $5. Looking at a $5 bill, it's in my lap. I'm like, this is worthless to me where I'm going. And that, that's when my reality changed, though, is when I was like, oh, I was looking at it with such glowing eyes. Like, it was so glowy to me. It was money. Money made things happen. And here I am going where I'm going, and like now this thing won't even start a proper fire. It's not even worth one night of fire. Not even going to help me do this. And so I'm sitting in this small airplane, and then next to me comes this lady who just looks like money she has rings she's like she's not like plastic surgery though but have you seen those really old women you're like you've never lived a hard day in your life right they're like disconnected from the real world because they've been in a bubble for her whole life yeah and she looks at me she goes why are you going to molokai and i'm like i don't know i'm barely awake right now and she goes don't worry like nothing here happens that like isn't meant to happen like, no one comes here if they're not meant to be here. Whoa, what? Yeah, so I'm like, whoa, is this person, like, reaffirming my weird-looking, like, just, I'm, like, looking insane, man. Like, my eyes, I can't keep them. My hair is up, drooping. Like, I, I smell. You know when you smell yourself and you feel bad for the people around you? <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm sorry. That- I can't, I'm, I'm, do, I'm, I can't, if I move more, it smells worse. If I move less, it just radiates, like, I'm just sorry. You know? It's awful. And she's like three inches away from me. This money lady. This money lady. So I land and, you know, let me explain. Molokai, the southern, the southwest part might as well be a desert. The northwest part is a desert. Then the other side is all thick forest. So I land and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I'm in the desert. Was the last thing I expected in Hawaii. Yeah, like, what is this? This is not Hawaii. Like, where the... Whatever. And literally anything else would have been better. 
So they're like, well, you can call a cab and go to the city center. And I'm like, oh, there's a city here? Okay. Because, I mean, like, from the airplane, no city. Like, nothing. It just looked like a big mountain with woods. So I know I have five bucks. I know I'm about to lie to this taxi driver, but I'm not going to lie. I call this taxi. This dude pulls up in this red car. I don't even know what it was, but I was like, just not expecting to see a bright red car on this island. He goes, where are you going? I'm like, the city? He goes, okay. I go, how much is it going to be? He goes, $45. Oh. And I go, I have $5. And he goes, I can't take you. And I was like, look, please, please, if you're just heading that back, back that way, like, I will never ask you for anything else again. And he just kind of looked at me. And, you know, I called him. He had driven like 30 minutes to get there. So he's like, just get in. So I just get in. I give him my $5. And, like, I've never seen anybody kind of like look more pissed off at me. But, oh. but that's also everything I had. Yeah. Was now so gone. to you that five dollars could have been might as well have been five thousand dollars. It could have been yeah, but at the same time, it's still five U.S. dollars, and I know how far that's going to get me. So I was just, it was almost funny to me. Were you expecting like, him to kind of like pull over once your five bucks ran out and just drop you <laughs> off? <laughs> no, because I started asking him questions. I was like, "How long do you live here? Do you have kids? Blah blah," and he was just like kind of stuck with me. And he was like, "All right, whatever, dude. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to get back to dinner." You know, right? Like, get on with my life. Get on with my this life. This sucks. Yeah. yeah. So he drops me off in the city, and it might as well have been a ghost town. I mean, this building that we're in would have been a quarter the size of the city. The only thing noticeable wow. about it was there was a bank connected to the farmers market, which all was empty. It was like a joke-looking place. Far off in the distance, I'm not joking, was a closed-down subway. And it had, like, one street, and it had, like, some local-looking shops. That's it. You know it's America because they have a chain restaurant. Double close. It was, it was beautiful. I Even was like, there. Yeah, it was there. It was like, well, America fucked this place up a little bit, clearly. Like, <laughs> They're so desperate. They have a subway. <laughs> they have a subway, for real. So It's I'm not a Quiznos. Subway. Subway. So now, you know, this is, the, this is where it gets, this is where the human element really comes interesting because I'm like, what do you, what do I do? What do I do? I'm going to die of the most pathetic death ever. In the most, like, least city place. Like, not even entering the woods yet. I'm hungry. I, you, don't, know, I don't know where to go. I you haven't actually go. done anything you've set out to do except everything. You got there. I got there. You got there, which is big. But in your mind, you're like, oh, what have I done? Yeah. I'm like, what have I, everyone's going to be pissed. And I'm going to die if I'm lucky. Like, you know, like, people who get depressed, because I've gotten depressed. Suicide is always an option. Is it for, like, even for an hour or three seconds? You're like, I can kill myself. But over there, I was like, it will take more energy for me to kill myself than to try to survive. You're like literally Tom Hanks in Castaway. Like, no, no volleyball. You didn't have a volleyball. I didn't have a volleyball, and I didn't have a significant other to go back to. I was just there, you know? Like, a little bit before we started, you were like, you know, tell me, tell me like, how you'd like me to choose. I'm like, you know, I'm just here, you know? I locked into that. That mode of life kept me alive. That you're here. That I'm here. Just that, being alive. Then I'm like, it's more energy to live 
than it is to kill myself. And therefore, I would not be making the right decision if I try to kill myself. If I try to end my life here, it won't make sense. Like, I couldn't do it because I'm too smart. No matter how down I feel, no matter, like, unfortunate my circumstance, I'm too smart to make an energy move that the alternative is, like... But that's because, do you think some of that is because you really wanted to live? Because if you really didn't care at all, it wouldn't matter how much energy you expend. Well, I mean, I spent all that energy getting there. Like, I really wanted to dig deeper into life. But I wanted to dig deeper into life because the life that I saw around me that I had just wasn't, wasn't enough. Like, the life you had around you in Memphis with your friends was a fading bulb and it was breaking because you're losing people. Under, yeah. And you're inside fighting and fighting and fighting. You're like, I've got to do something to break this cycle. I've got to do something to break this cycle. I've got to find a new way to live. A new way to live. And so, you know, after many, many, many arduous miles of journey and losing all of your money, yeah. you end up on this half-desert island yeah. in the middle of Hawaii yeah. that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And there's no real town. You know, by the way, everyone who I'm like, oh, I, I used to live in Molokai, they're like, what, like, you know, the people who've been in Hawaii for a while, they're like, you live there? They're like, it's totally black at night. There's not a single light on. What do you mean you live there? Like, there's people there? There are people there, but not really. So let's talk about your experience. You're in the town. It's I'm, a ghost town. It's a ghost town, except finally I meet one dude, the weirdest looking dude ever. Is it the guy from the casino? If you know that, I would I would go live and live with the shark. He's like, I own this town. <laughs> Everyone moved. Oh my! My God. girlfriend pays rent <laughs> once a week. Like, is your girlfriend God, dude? How are you doing this? You're doing great, honestly. <laughs> so you meet the weirdest person in the world. Yeah, and um, yeah, so like I called him Pan. He looked like the Greek god Pan. Weird. Okay. He had like he had like a goatee that like kind of dripped down and he had like braided hair that like kind of looked like ram horns around his head and he was sitting cross-legged in the city stop this is the greek god pan this is the greek god pan this is where he went yeah people stop believing no no no. he's there dude he's there and um he's he's, sitting cross-legged in the middle of town and you just he's there see him and what how what is this interaction like he goes did god send you stop yeah i'm like well, yeah, I'm here, you know? He literally <laughs> said, did God send you? Did God send you? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, I might, might as well have, you know? So like, what am I going to say? You know, in conversation, like, I meet people in this city at like events, you know? And in conversation, they just think they're the weediest people ever. Okay. I'm like, you're weedy out of privilege. If you didn't have an option, you would... You would say the nicest things that you could think of at all times. I'm like, your wit just shows me you don't suffer. And you not suffering at this point in my life shows me you're not growing. And I pity you. Meeting him, he was like, did God send you? I was like, whatever the fuck you want, send me. If you can point me in literally any direction. And the sun was about to go down like, Sunsets in Hawaii kind of take some time. They're dramatic. Like, you wa- you're feeling the earth move. You're watching the ocean, like, dance. You know, 
as soon as the sun sets, like past that point, like these colors are everywhere. It's so beautiful. Purples and reds and purples, purples and reds and oranges and pink, and the clouds are all like might as well have been just like every artist ever came to like critique and do artwork on the same piece of paper. Wow. They're, they're insane every night. So I'm like, yeah, dude, God sent me. And he goes, okay, look, this is what you got to do, all right? I got a piece of land that I'm warden to take care of. When you're ready, I'll let you live there. And I was like, great, I'm ready. I'm ready now. <laughs> He's like, you're not ready. Like, you just No. Live. Yeah. He's like, you're not ready. How does he know you're not ready? Well, he's a Greek god pan, you know, full, right. of, full of wisdom. And I was like, okay, what do I, and then, and then it got desperate, right? I'm like, what do I do? I'm out of money. I, don't, I, have peanut, I brought up the peanut butter like five times. I was like, dude, I don't have peanut butter anymore, you know? <laughs> you're obsessed with it. I literally keep looking at my shoe. I'm like, I know people joke about eating a shoe, but like, is it edible? Is parts of this thing edible? By the way, I have no service. My phone is worthless. Right. Um, so I'm looking, I'm like, what do I do, man? And he was like, look, in about 15 minutes, this bus is going to come to the town. I'm going to get on the bus. You get on the bus with me. I know a place where you can go and help on this guy's farm. And I'm going to go and live where I live. And I was like, honestly, that's the best fucking news I could ever receive in my life. No doubt. This guy, I go, what's his name? He goes, David Angelsey. And I go, you're lying. You, no one names David Angelsey from the Greek. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Pe- Peter. Peter, Peter Angelsey. Peter Angelsey. And he goes, you know, St. Peter, he'll allow you to live in heaven. And I was like, oh, yeah, word. Word. <laughs> this is like unbelievable. Yeah, I'm like, that's cool, amazing. man. All right. So, Peter, yeah, I don't care. Does he have literally raw onion that I could eat because I'm fucking starving? And I, I say that, you know, I'm just grateful. And we're driving and, um, Within like two minutes, it's raining. And I'm like, fuck. And then within like five minutes, it's not raining. And there's a rainbow. And I'm like, I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He's like, dude, this dude is grinning, like yellow teeth, like tobacco stained. He's just two thumbs up. He's like, this is a good sign. He goes, this, I've been here a long time. This is a good sign. And I was like, all right. Wow. Yeah. So we're on this bus with like this kind of loony looking like, Oh, no, that was, that was further down. So to explain this island, it's 264 square miles, about 180 square miles of forest. And that's, it's huge. There's one road, and it runs on the southern border next to the ocean. So that's it. That's it. Is it like a dirt road, or is it paved? It's paved. It's the only road. Um, it goes kind of like all the way around the island. And... Uh, that's all there is. So the moment you really step into the bush, that's a whole nother, whole nother like world too. Right. So he tells me to get off at mile 17 and to go there and I'll be fine. And he gets off at mile 12. Okay. And that's 12 whole miles. And if you're walking and you have no, you know, like by the time the bus is there, I'm like, he's already gotten off. So I'm like quadruple into no return. There's no return. And it's nighttime. So I'm like going onto this dude's farm at night. And you don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I don't even know if the guy I just talked to is A, real? B, if he's like, everything's running through my mind, like they're going to kill me. I'm like, why would they want to kill me? I'm not like 
you're not going to sell me into like sex trafficking. Like I'm not, no, nobody wants it. Unfortunately, bro. I'm yeah. sorry to tell you. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, no, no, it's cool. There's only good options because I can't even think of bad. I'm like, they're going to harvest my organs. In which case, like we're going to be methodical about it. I'm going to tell them like, please just sedate me. You can have like, you know, if there's, if there's some sort of deal I can strike, like I was like, like so cool with it. I was like, if that's how I got to go, that's how I got to go. I'm going to make this the most painless organ harvesting. Basically. It's just, I was like, it's so desperate. Beyond desperation. And I get there, and it just kind of has a really good feeling. Um, there's chickens kind of floating around places. And uh, there's like this little... They're, they're like off in their house. Like, you know, the sun's basically set. Right. And there's like this camp there. There's like this tent and stuff like that. And I'm like... Here I am, like, here's Peter Angelsey's place. So I walk up to the tents, and uh, that's where I meet a good friend of mine. His name's Carlo. Carlo's at the tent. Yeah, Carlo's at the tent. And uh, Carlo got there that day. That's prophetic. Yeah. So we got there on the same day. And um, this dude is, like, whittling something. There's, like, bows and arrows and, like machetes, it's like a little Filipino dude over there, like he's just going hard. And I'm like, What's up? And he just kind of looks at me and goes, What's up, bro? How you doing, man? And I'm like, Great, you know, like what's going on? And he goes, When'd you get here? I go, I just got on the island. He's like, I just got on the island. I was like, Holy shit. Where'd you get all these bows and arrows so fast? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, He he tried, he was like, dude was a badass. He's one of those guys, he um he did like a, he was like, he would contest for American Ninja Warrior. I mean, all in all, this guy just turned out to be like a real Jedi. Like, that's crazy. He's awesome. So I was like, I told him my story. And literally, as soon as I got to the point about the peanut butter, which was much, was basically like, yeah, I went along the way. And then they took my peanut butter. And now I'm really hungry. And he like gave me whatever, you know, fruits and stuff. And I mean, like, I ate, man. Like, I don't remember eating, you know? I was just stuffing my face. Plantains. Those are the little mini bananas. Right. So, yeah, Peter had a banana farm. Uh, he had a banana farm, he had a coconut farm, and he had goats. And, um, you know, bananas, pineapples, coconuts, uh, like some, like, mints and basils and stuff like that. So the next, you know, I kind of go to sleep for, like, Four hours. Do you meet Peter this night, or is it just you and Carlo? It's just me and Carlo. Okay. But he's like, hey, I talked to the guy. Like, cool. Carlo was much better at traveling than I was. He had talked to Peter. Okay. So he was like, yeah, Peter's really cool. He's got a wife. He's got these two kids. They're crazy little jungle kids. He's awesome. So it's sort of like Swiss Family Robinson has a farm kind of vibe. Who's Swiss Family Robinson? They're like... Uh, English people get shipwrecked on an island and they like build their own little jungle world. Like totally. A little jungle family. 1000%. They had a tree house. Their whole house. Yeah, they live in a tree house. Yeah, the whole house was a tree house. No, stop. This is the book. This is the book Swiss Family Robinson. Really? Yes. Holy shit. Really? Do they have bananas and goats and chickens? Yes, there's like a whole big thing. There's oh. like a movie and they have goat races and like. Sometimes I feel like I'm living in the Truman Show. <laughs> but the whole planet is the Truman Show. It's. I've tested the boundaries and it's. Either we're all in this weird little thing together, you know? I feel that way, too. Yeah, it's weird. Like, there's, like, the Matrix. Like, you're going to... and Yeah, be there. Wake up and you're in a bowl. Yeah, and it's like, you know, 
life's subtle tricks no longer work on me. I'm like, oh yeah, whoop-de-doo, I'm walking, here's a door, I'm opening it, this is all normal, I close it, and bam, that's when it happens. Yeah, a subtle thing. All right, so so you and Carlo camp out. Yeah, so me and Carlo camping out, and we wake up. So here's a funny thing. Um, We have two tents next to each other, and there's like an overarching canopy, and I like literally wake up in horror because there are like velociraptor claws on the top of my tent. And then I hear, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of everything, man. I'm terrified. Turns out it's a rooster. (laughs) This rooster is on my tent and making these noises. And I just hear Carlo going, I'll fucking get you. (laughs) I like unzip my tent and Carlo's out there with this bow and arrow. He's got a bow and arrow, and this rooster is running away, and he strings it up, and he hits it, and it, like, hits this, like, tree stump and bounces off. He's like, fuck! I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's nuts. He's freaking nuts. So I'm like, oh, dude, yeah, it's a rooster. He's like, man, I can't believe it woke me up. I was like, dude, you're ready for this. Like, you got- <laughs> You're ready for these damn yeah. night roosters, bro. He's like, you didn't bring, it's like dawn, and he's like, you didn't bring anything? And I was like, actually, I did. I brought this machete. And I finally opened it. And I was like, yes. Like, oh. Yeah, totally. I was like, my saber's like, it's all black, like thick steel. It was a really nice machete. That's probably actually the one thing you really needed. Yeah. No, that thing stayed on me the whole time. I mean, even if I didn't need it, it was just cool. It's true. It was just cool. It was just a thick piece of steel. I like, cut through anything. So we met Peter. And he, like, literally walked up. He's like, oh, hey, who are you, man? Like, I told him about me. He goes, great, you ready to work? And I was like, yeah. It means I get to eat, you know? So we started working for him um, with Carlo. And we kind of learned how to do stuff, you know? kind of. It was like boot camp. What is he teaching you? He's not teaching me. He's like, go weed that. Go feed the goats. You fed the goats sticks. Because they ate, like, grass. Right. But they need attention, so you feed them sticks, and they just chomp through these sticks, man. Goats are, you don't talk about the Matrix, like, goats run the Matrix. They They, might. Do you think they defy all the rules, like, they can do whatever they want? Kind of. I mean, they, like, walk on, like, I mean, I, I climb now, so I know what a hard climb is. The hardest climb ever, the best climber ever, will not match a baby goat. A baby goat's just, like on a millimeter of two paws and it's totally balanced thousand feet in the air on nothing. You're just like waiting for it to fall off, but it doesn't. And if it does, it springs onto another tiny crevice and you're like, there is no spoon. Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. They, they're, dude, they're the glitch. They're the glitch. I think you figured it out. The goats are the glitch in the matrix. Constantly. Like, as a, as a joke. Like, they jokingly glitch the matrix. They're like, oh, that's funny. I'm a baby goat. Watch this. And then they're just like, bloop. And if you look into their eyes, this re- they have rectangular pupils. That's true. You know, I want to time travel and go back in time to meet scientists and be like, wake up and fucking research goats. They have rectangular eyes. Like... Something is going on here. <laughs> They're the anomaly, okay? Don't worry about the spiders that have eight round eyes. These goats have two rectangular eyes. Looks like TVs, man. It does, doesn't it? 
Maybe they're like that see-through like mirror, that single-sided mirror that detectives use when they're like interrogating somebody, and there's some sort of like super beings that are using these goats to spy on everyone, basically. And then they make fun of them because the goats are also like drones, so they can do they control the goats. Which, by the way, have you seen the birds aren't real billboards? I have seen that. Yeah, I asked uh, this girl I've been hanging out with. I was like, "What? What is birds aren't real?" And she goes, "Yeah, these guys, they're um." They're just talking about how birds aren't real and they're just drones that government use. And I go, let me tell you something. It's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Do you know how many birds I've hit with my car? They're not drones. They're alive. And they explode and they have blood and guts. And if the government can make a bloody, gutty bird, I'll hail that government because they've figured some God-level shit out. But it's not our government. It's not our government. Yeah, it's the intergalactic government of birds or whatever. Yeah, I've heard about this movement. You can look it up, guys. It's called Birds Aren't Real. Um, I've heard about it a few years ago. A kid from Memphis, I think, started it. And it's that's exactly what you say. Are I they, thought it was a joke, but yeah. I think he's kind of serious. Oh, he's real about this? I you you got to try to have that guy I mean, on the he's, show. He's really making money. Yeah, please come on. Um, he's. I mean, it's gone from like stickers you'd see around town to like there's billboards now. And there's also a website that sells shirts, and there's like really cool, like birds aren't real graphic tees. I'm gonna go support them. Why not? Why not? This, this is like better than McDonald's or whatever. Like, I mean, he's getting his hot. Like, I wish that Sold Outside had sweet graphic tees. I mean, we have some tees, but I should be honest with you, I drew them and they're not so great. Oh, you need, well, you, I'm telling you, you gotta link up with this guy. I gotta link, I gotta sponsor them, and like, then. Maybe we can connect. Yeah. But the thing is, I fundamentally believe birds are, in <laughs> fact, real. <laughs> birds are very real. And honestly, they troll kind of harder than goats sometimes. When, when, I, when I look back at the adventure I had and have The rooster still, was trolling you. The rooster trolled me day, moment one. Yeah. They yeah. knew, dude. When you got on the island, they have like an inner bird communication yeah. system. We're really getting off the rail. Yeah. So, so let's talk some more about... You're on the farm, and you're, like, basically inventing, like, you're feeding sticks to the goats. Yeah, we're, we're just taking care of this guy's land. I okay. mean, it's like indentured servitude. So how long does this go on? This only goes on for 10 days. Okay. Is this, this is like your boot camp, basically. This boot camp. And Peter wanted us to work there longer, but there was trouble in paradise. I don't want to go too deep into it, but if the rooster wasn't waking us up, it was Peter's wife yelling at him. Oh. And I was, like, looking at Carlo. I was like, yo, dude. He's like, yeah, no, man, we could totally do this, like, anywhere on the island. And I was like, yo, I met this guy. He told me, when we're ready, we can, we can like... Pan. Pan. It pan. all goes back to pan. It all goes back to pan. So he's like, all right, man. And so I go up to Peter, and I was like, hey, man, do you know this guy who, like, has a goatee and, like, braided hair and stuff? He's like, yeah, I got fucking wacko. He's a nut job. And I was like, yeah, cool. Where do I find him? <laughs> And he's like, just get on the bus, and you know, once you end up back in the city, like, wait a few days or something, he'll end up there. This is literally like a video game. Yeah, it's like quests, like going quest to quest. Yeah, or like Zelda, like, all right, go and sit here for three days, and Pan will appear. Yeah. And tell you what to do. And don't fuck up. Yeah. Because you will die, because L- Pan will not let you live. So, all right, so do you go then immediately? You're like, all right, Peter, we gotta go. Like- well, I told Carlo, I was like, yo, I made a friend, you know? How cool is that? I made a friend out here, you know? And Peter was cool. His kids were cool. They're funny. They're mm-hmm. like, they'll like climb up a bunch of stuff and like fall halfway and then like 
catch himself halfway, keep going. I'm like, man, these kids are indestructible. They're awesome. He was he had a really cool family. Um, maybe it was our energy there that was like it was time for it to leave. Oh, and he was be. and he was super nice. Like he was like the nicest guy ever. And his wife was just like, you know what? I know you're not going to say it, so I'm going to yell for like 12 hours or something, you know? And uh, he, would just, he would just come to us and be like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, you know? Go weed the coconuts. And we're like, yeah, word, dude. It's whatever. And ironically enough, the very last day, we had a really cool adventure where, you know, once the banana trees are like harvested and they're dead, you got to cut them up and you got to burn them because um, they breed a bunch of terrible shit. So we had like the biggest fire I've ever seen in my life. I mean, that thing was like 2,000 degrees. Wow. And we're throwing, I and mean, it was like 10 by 10 area of just huge logs on fire. It was like embery. It was awesome. We had a great meditation. It's nothing else to do. It Sounds was, like a really cool moment. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was me, Peter, and Carlo, and we were just like meditating next to this massive fire. We did it for a long time until the kids came and like threw shit at us. And we're like, all right, well, this is it. Time to go find Pan, right? Yeah, that's like the best exit you could possibly ask for like a massive fire it's yeah. almost like fireworks totally and then you leave to go on your quest to keep surviving so tell us about the quest to find pan and what happens when you do find him so, i hope you find him oh this is great this is where like things turn off right so carlos got a bunch of weapons right and right I'm, and he's like a good dude you know he's got like a bandana on he he's like i love tupac and i love biggie you get it man i just love that shit <laughs> And I love spears. <laughs> and I love and spears. bows and arrows. But I hate roosters. Yeah, yeah. And I'm cool with that, dude. I'll kill a rooster on sight. I meet vegans and vegetarians and stuff, and I totally respect what they're doing. And I totally am against the way we're farming animals. Yeah. But I'm like, yo, if you live with a chicken or rooster long enough, you're going to kill it. And then you're going to think it's a waste not to eat it. And that's why I'm, I'm not, you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, well... Because at the end of the day, you're still in survival mode. Like, yeah. it's not like you got to the farm and everything was cool and, like, you had spaghetti and taco night. No, no, no. Actually, I wasn't even eating that much. There was not that much to eat because whatever we ate had to be accounted for on the farm, by the farm, right? And this guy had to sell the stuff to make money to feed his kids. It was literally like anything I eat is taken away from this kid's life. So you didn't want to do that. So you try to avoid that. Well, basically, I had gotten used to pretty low calorie and I, I didn't have to move too much. Um, I was definitely the weakest one there. I was like, oh, God, I just need food. Like, That's weird because you're kind of a big guy now. Yeah, being, being big doesn't mean you're strong. I'll tell you that right now. Being strong means you have this resolution that, like, you know, this fortitude. And I didn't, I didn't I've, I've developed it over years, but back then I didn't have it. Like, you I didn't was, have that yet, that I gut know, energy. Yeah, I was hurting. You know, I was really hurting. Um, and I would eat stupid stuff, like... I would like eat peel. I still eat the peels of most things because I won't waste it. Um, when I'm hungry, I used to like dip into like honey a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would just eat that. I eat coffee beans. I, I like chewed on leaves just to keep myself. But you know, it was until a long time later that I found out like if you chew on gum or chew on leaves, it might alleviate you for a little bit. You're just gonna get much hungrier later. You're yeah. kind of wasting energy to get very little. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a mental satisfaction. So I drank a lot of water um, for like 10 days, really. I was like, I mean, I became emaciated. Like my face kind of like I could feel, I could feel my cheekbones, my teeth, you know, kind of feel my ribs a little bit more. Um, Get really, really, really 
Gaunt would be the word. Yeah, gaunt. Yeah. Um, Carlo was just ripped up the whole time, dude. This guy. He's awesome. He's just totally ripped up, veiny, ripped up, doing pull-ups every day. I was like, man, what are you on? He was a few years older than me. Uh-huh. And he's, he's great. He's still, to this day, a great role model um, of just, like, being in the system but also out of the system. So, t- so tell us a little bit how you and Carlo get to back to the city. Yeah, so we get on the bus. Guess who's the first person we see? No way. Ben. Yeah, he's just sitting there waiting for us. That's super weird. He's waving. And I was like, Carlo, that's the fucking guy. He kind of gives me this look like, yo, this dude looks crazy. And I was like, he's fucking crazy, dude. But this is the guy. So we go sit next to him, and he goes, what's up, guys? You ready? And we're like, yeah, dude. Like, fucking Peter's great, but um, we can't, you know, don't want to say anything bad. But, like, also, um, uh, yeah, it's not working, you know. He's like, cool. Well, I'll show you where I live, and we can talk. And I was like, all right. This but, is real crazy. Like, the timing of it is so It's bizarre. just divine. It's just divine. Like, a survival divine. And it's funny. There's some people who I bring up the story to, and, like, you, you know, I'm sure you had so many moments where you're like, the way everything just lined up is unreal. Yeah, it's true. And But nothing like this. This is, I mean, I'm pushing the edge of life here. This is next level. So, sitting next to Pan. I love him calling him Pan, because he, he would, if I asked him, He'd be like, yeah, just don't use my real name because, you know, he, he's like deep in the woods, man. You can't find this guy. Right. You can't find him, he finds you. He's that level. He, literally. Yeah. This is what's happening right now yeah. in this story. Yeah. So, which by the way, this, I mean, I can't make this up because this had to happen for me to survive. Right. There was, so the proof of it is that you're here today. The proof of it is that I'm here today. Right. Uh, so we meet Pan and we stop at mile 12 kind of kakai and uh we start we start the hike we go up the mountain about i guess like a mile it's hard it's a hard trek and he stops and he points to our right and he said this is the hawaiian shaman burial ground no way so we're both just like and like this wave of energy washes over us i kind of feel like this is you know in hindsight it's just purity purity hits you in waves and so we keep walking, I guess like another half mile, go through this like, go through this way, which if he didn't show us, I would get lost every single time. So we get there and we go and there's like this little woodworking area, this little kitchen area and some supplies. And there's like this little five by five like shack he's made to sleep on. So when he said earlier that he's the warden of an is he charged with taking care of the shaman burial ground? No. This is what's funny. This is why the Hawaiians never bothered him. The Hawaiians are so terrified of the shaman. The Hawaiians are very spiritual people and very righteously so. The shaman burial ground, they're like, if you go up there, if you survive, you're being watched by the spirits. You're fine. But so many people have gone up there and died that they don't want to go up there. So is it like a trial thing or are they just saying no? Do they think the spirits are deciding your fate? Yeah. They're like, if they don't want you there, you'll die. And they've had some, I mean, I've met, everyone i met explained to me a story of someone who died. And it was bringing me peace about my friends who died. But they were explaining to me how they died and what happened, that it was just blatantly like, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like 
he ate steak every night and had a heart attack. Or it wasn't like she made a wrong decision in the helicopter and the helicopter crashed. You know, it was like, no, they told her. Everyone knew if you get on this ride, you're going to die. Everyone knew if you go in this area, you're just going to die. They're like, we just found them days later dead on the ground. No marks, nothing. They're just dead. Their spirits left. And what was left was their bodies. There might be something to that. There's a lot to it, especially especially what happened the very first night. Um, so we explained to Pan, as his code name is, and as he is, I mean, he had a he had a flute. <laughs> he had a flute, and he had a tattoo on his back of a spider with the death head on it. And I go, why do you have that tattoo? It's scaring me. He goes, death is always at my back. I'm always looking at life. Okay, that's a cool... That's really a good reason to get a tattoo, actually. I loved it. I yeah. was like, I trust you. I trust that you... All I have is making decisions for and about and into life. And I can trust you here because that's evidently what you're doing. But trust me, I was weary. I mean... Yeah. I was weary. He, you know, once he got into his, like, meditative place, like, you can tell this dude was scarred up, you know. He was... His hands, his knuckles were like calloused and thick. Like I mean, he had like some working hands, you know. But being like 22, looking at that guy, I was like, "This is this is a potentially dangerous human." Carlo was like the like a model citizen-looking person who loved, you know, the offbeat, backbeat, underground scenes. So he was sort of on an adventure. Yeah. And Pan was like in a life moment. Oh, yeah. No, he'd been there for years. Years. And he told us a little bit about how long he'd been there. Uh, and, you know, we were basically on the tip of a valley. And he was like, okay, guys, you can, you're welcome to make a place here. I have a very little amount of stuff for you to use. But you can make a, make a place here. And so finally, there was like this feeling of home. Because we were looking out, you could see Maui. Um, you know, and by this time, when we were having this conversation, we had a fire going, and it was nighttime, and it was beautiful. And I was like, things are going well. Cool. And I was wrong. Things, oh. Yeah. The things, it got so deep into some rabbit hole that, you know, I wanted, I wanted to, like, set this up properly, but the real story starts here. I feel like we should have like an interlude, like page turn sound. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Nicely done. Now we can start the real story. So, so if you've been listening to the Get Lost podcast for the last little bit and hearing about Keon's journey from Memphis to Hawaii through casinos and TSA, TSA. <laughs> and uh, living on a coconut farm with a guy named Carlo and a psychopath rooster. You've only just begun, actually, because now we're going to get into the real shit above the Hawaiian shaman burial ground yep. with a man named Pan in a death spider tattoo. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe in angels, aliens, dragons, spirits, dimensions, portals, goddesses, stop listening. The whole rest of the story will not make sense to your child, and it will not make sense to your boss, and your 401k, 
or literally anything else that you find comfort in because none of this is comfortable. Nobody who forges themselves in the universe is a comfortable being to know. It takes a massive route to get there and it takes a massive route to get to know them. I like it. Let's get to it. All right. So first night I'm sitting there and I had spent, well, so that was the first night. The next day, all next day, I like got hit with inspiration. So I was moving these rocks and I made a triangle and I put the rocks in a triangle and I started making mud. We had some water available. So I made a bunch of mud and I was like packing the mud kind of around the rocks. And uh, I had one, there was like one kind of wooden board and I laid it out there and I put the tarp above and I wrapped it in the, you know, through the trees and everything. Um, and I had some food from the farm, had a little bit, Carla had a little bit, Pan had a little bit. Um, and I was like, awesome, I'm good. Like finally, you know, nighttime came. And by the way, this whole mountainside had basil, but this basil was wild and it was like three feet tall. It was beautiful and smelled good. The whole area kind of smelled good. And then mesquite trees. It's like the wood fire smelled great. That's oh, perfect, actually. It was, per- it was heavenly. I mean, like, you can build a better heaven out of earthly materials. No, you couldn't go to a candle store and pick out those scents and have, like, two better scents to, like, to surround yourself with. Yeah. That's how I felt. So I was like, kind of like, I was like, man, I'm kind of living large for about five minutes. Right, until, you know, food runs out and everything else. But So I'm staying there, and there's no wind or anything, and I finally, like, at night, I'm tired. I lay down, and I did not structure this tarp well at all. So I fall asleep, and I wake up, and it is, like, the loudest thud ever. If someone could fire a gun off next to your face, it's quieter. And what happened was the wind picked the tarp up all the way and slammed it down above me all the way, like literally a bass drum. And it didn't do it one time. It did it like 30 times in a row. So I'm just, and it's pitch black. It's pitch black. And it, I think I'm dead. And it goes, whoa, 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 whoa. So I freak out. I freak out and I leave. I get out. I'm like totally awake. I just start to wander. What else do you do? So I'm walking. And I'm sitting somewhere and it's all cloudy. And then it gets weird. I start hearing drums. So at 12 o'clock, like behind me, further into the mountains, I'm hearing drums. And like you're sure, yeah. It's like dum 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 dum. And then at two o'clock, at my two o'clock, dum 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 dum. Five o'clock, dum 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 dum. Six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. I'm literally feeling it come around me, and then it goes to twelve o'clock. Goes dum stops. And I mean, I'm just like, oh my god, man, it's fucking weird. It's so weird. So weird. So I stay up all night. Right. What do you think it is? Like in, at the in the moment, what are you are you trying to rationalize? I it? thought it was whales for a second. I was like, "This is a whale tail," and then I'm like, "Can't be a whale. You can't rationalize something like that." You know, I'm like, "No, this is whales don't play drums. Whales don't play drums. Is a drum is good. I'm either hallucinating or just some something playing drums." And you know, the rational mind is like, "It's a human. Lay low. Put some mud in your armpits. Cover your smell. Like, don't get hunted." I'm laying there like that. And, you know, I wait it out. It doesn't last too long. And I go, and I basically just sit next to what I built. I'm not even in it. It's such a joke. To Where's me. Carlo at? Carlo's like 200 meters away. Okay, so that's a long way away. It's a long way. It's like, I can't see him. We decided, right. like, okay, we can communicate, but we're out here. 
there's no need to be like roommates or whatever. We're a little too old. Yeah. At a certain point, we're like, you're really cool, but you're really cool because you're going to help me survive a little bit. Right. You're going to have your space. I'll have my space. Yeah. We individually go on journeys parallel, but separate. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, you know, while we were living together in Peter's farm, we really got to know each other. I mean, doing everything, all we did was talk the whole time. Sure. Um, so, we, you know, we got to know him enough. And Pan, we're just kind of a little scared of. We're both a little hesitant of this guy. And he's totally wielding the fear. Like, looking back, like, he was, like, keeping himself safe by, you know, he's a very peaceful guy, but he, he, weld, he, he wielded the fear well. Um, so the, as the morning light is coming on, there is a red-headed man, like, 20 feet away from me. And he is pissed drunk. He's super drunk. He's, like, blackout drunk. How the hell did he get up there? Well, this is another one of Pan's friends. Okay. So this is it. But I didn't know that, right? And he's like, yo, what are you, what are you, what are you doing, man? And I'm like, you know, turning my, I'm turning my resume into him. I'm like, yeah, hey, so this is me. This is what I've done. Hello, nice to meet you, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's cool, man. Do you know how to freestyle rap? <laughs> and I was like. What? Yeah. I go, um, not really, you know. He goes, do you have any booze? And I was like, no. He goes, you want me to make a fire? And I was like, yeah, sure, we'll make a fire. So we're making a fire, and this guy's freestyle rapping the whole time, all right? What is he rapping about? Everything. Uh, he's really crude. Like, you know, crude rap. All right. But freestyle, and it's kind of funny. But I don't know who this guy is. So I'm like, I'm not really letting it happen. And uh, we build this fire, and he immediately passes out. And I'm like, okay, well. He had a plan. He had a plan. He's good. He's not next to the fire. It was kind of cold there, you know, except when it was super hot. The weather was never, it's never like tropical time where you're like cruising Because you're kind of at elevation. You're kind of at elevation. It's either super hot or it's rainy and the rain can get cold. Or it's nighttime and it has this like weird breeze to it because it's like the desert's right there. Oh, right, yeah. Cold wind from the desert. Cold wind, yeah, it hits you. And it carries for miles. Um, And because I was on elevation, it didn't like go through the woods. And we, we were in a place that was away from animals. It was kind of strategic. So the next day, uh, you know, I'm looking at Pan. I'm like, who's this guy? He's like, yeah, this is Sean. He's awesome. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to hang out with this guy, to be honest. It's cool. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, head off. I'm going to adventure. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, go for it. So that's when I started, like, adventuring. And, you know, after you, like, are in the woods having a, you know, failing a rap battle with a guy who's super drunk, after the adventure I've had, I'm like, I don't really care anymore. I'm kind of bitter. And I start to... Um, You're bitter because you lost the rap battle or because this guy showed up and ruined your party? In, in hindsight, definitely bitter because I lost the rap battle. Because yeah. I'm willing to rematch him. It's an embarrassment for the city, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But I had no idea. I was just like, you know, honestly, I was like, what happened? what's up with those drums? That's still carried over. And I was like, why is this super bright red-headed guy, like, what, what is he doing in my face just rapping about terribly crude stuff? And he wouldn't, also, he wouldn't let me talk. He was hammered. Like, he hiked up that place all night. Hammered. Why? Just to see Pan, I guess. Well, listen, this guy is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. But that's a little further on. So I started, and this is, this is, where, the, this is where nature took over. This is where life took over. And I started walking around, and I just had my backpack um, with a little bit of food. And all I ate were purple leaves. Because I was like, these are friendly leaves. This is, this is friendly looking. But I was getting really hungry. And on top of that, I was lost. I'm talking about two hours in my walk. 
I realized I don't know how to get out of where I am and everything looks the same. And you think you're walking in circles when you're walking in a straight line and you think you're walking in a straight line, but you're walking in circles. You're totally lost. Did you have a compass? No. No. And I, I could use the sun a little bit, um, but not a lot. And it also didn't matter. It was so beautiful. I just didn't care. And I was so bitter. I was so lost in that confusion. And that you were like walking through this forest, this like avatar-like world. Totally. Hazy, dream and world. There's nobody. And nobody. no sleep because the drums kept you up. Yeah, no sleep. But, you know, kind of like getting used to the whole it, everything's terrible you can get kind of used to everything's terrible. And I was like, okay, well, I'm here. You know, find a stream. I'd be like, I'd have a little sip, and i see something swimming in. I'd be like, oh, God, I don't want to drink from this. You know, I'd wait for rainwater and stuff like that. Well, it turns out I only had the purple leaves. Years later, I got a sweet potato plant as a gift. And I, re- I was like, oh, my God, those are the same leaves. And they're like, did you know there's a potato at the root of that plant? <laughs> Stop. And I literally was like, I will kill you. What the f- are you talking about? There's a potato at the bottom of this plant? You could have been eating potatoes the whole, the whole time. time. Dude, I could have eaten like I could have hundreds, hundreds of potatoes. Instead, I had thousands of leaves. Just like, that you know, sucks. It sucks so bad. You could have boiled that gross water too, and you had like mashed potatoes. Yeah, but the rainwater was cleaner. Than, it was as clean as Memphis water. So I was like, that was like the one plus. Every time it rained, I was like, this sucks, but I'm going to drink water. How do you collect it? Uh, it collected itself most of the time. Oh, like little pools and stuff? Yeah. Um, where Pan lived, there were some buckets. He was, he was, you know, well aware of drinking water like that. And this is where the birds aren't real thing comes back to. I would see a mango or I would see like a bright fruit. And I would have to go through shit to get to that fruit. And I would grab it, and it would deflate in my hands. Because a bird had pecked out and ate everything from the other side. I can't tell you how many times I... And when your emotional connection is with no one, it's with the food you eat. And when that food deflates in your hand, you fucking hate birds. You're like, I will kill you. (laughs) I'm sensing a theme here, and it all revolves around food. So that's, that's what I'm telling you. The first month was really survival. It was all about food, and it got, we got better. I started finding jackfruit. Um, I started collecting coconuts and um, coffee beans a little bit, avocados, garlic glue, grew there, like weird stuff. It's just stuff growing on the mountain, right? And just stuff that like birds like, picked up a seed and dropped it, and the weather was so good it grew. And Carlo, meanwhile, was making friends with the natives. And while I was off in the woods, Carlo made friends with the natives, and they led him to a fishing spot. Oh, cool. So I got back to camp like four days later, and they thought I had died. So when I came back, it was all love, right? Right. Sean was, Sean was there. Pan was there. Carlo was there. They're like, dude, where'd you go? And I was like, man, I was there or something. And they're like, oh, man, you really like adventure, and that's cool. We got fish. I was like, I got all this, and we feasted, man. Sean had whiskey. Well, still, I was like, I was still like, I was like, man, who's this Sean guy? Then he started rapping in, like, all kinds of accents, and we laughed all night. When he passed out, I looked at Pan, and I go, yo, what's his story? And he goes, his parents abandoned him when he was a kid. He grew up in basically an orphanage, but it was just these, this couple who adopted international kids. I was like, he's not international. He's like, yeah, but he's, he's super red, dude. Like, he's super red. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so they're like, they fudged it. They fudged it, yeah, but... 
so I started having some more sympathy. You know, I was like, this guy had it rough. Next morning, I got to say Sean's story because it's just, he's one of the funniest people I ever met, man. He's like 30-something years old. And I wake him up with some coffee. I'm like, hey, man, I just want to get to know you. Like, tell me your story. Starts off with, he goes, I'm a virgin. I was this like, is unfortunate. <laughs> I was like, you're a virgin rapper. That's, I'm from Memphis. That, that's not how that works. You're a rapper, and you are the opposite of a virgin. You have the opposite of a virgin. That's what it is over there. He's like, nope, totally believe in God. I'm a virgin. Um, and he told me about growing up in his house. And he was like, yeah, I basically just got along with my adopted brother who was Korean. And he goes, he walked in and immediately I kicked him in the net just to let him know this is my house. <laughs> like it was prison. <laughs> and I go, really? Like how'd that go over for you? He's like, dude, let me tell you something. That Korean kid was about as mean as he gets. One day I was walking up the stairs and he had a sleeping bag and it was in the bag and he kicked it as hard as he could and it hit me in the head and I fell down the stairs. And after that I knew we were cool. <laughs> <laughs> It's like stepbrothers. <laughs> stepbrothers, but international orphan stepbrothers. And I was like, what else do you like about him? He's like, man, whatever he set his mind to, he did. The last time I saw him, he goes, and that was before these pussies with their phones and shit walk around thinking they know shit, man. Don't know shit, man. Okay? He was over there. He's like, listen to me, Sean. You will not see me again. I'm going to go live in a temple in Thailand. And I was like, what do he do? He goes, that dude was 16 years old, and he left, and he lives in a temple in Thailand. I was like, holy cow. That's talking about getting lost. Talk about getting lost, man. I wonder where that guy is, right? I think he's probably still in a temple in Thailand. So a couple of years after I met Sean, Sean reconnected with his dad, and then he found his mom, and then he went and lived back in the woods. <laughs> oh, so he's like, I did that. Now I'm going to go back here with Pan. Yeah, but he was like, he's like, yo, I'm depressed, dude. Like, these people... These people abandoned me. Like, I don't care how connected to them I am. The, the family I made along the way, that's my family. That's the family I choose. I get choice. I'm going to choose that family. That's who I'm going to give love to. Man, it's almost like that island is, is like an island for lost souls. 100%. And it's like they're drawn to it. The, like the lady on the plane was like, everyone's here for a reason. Everyone's here for a reason, yeah. And I mean, you show up as you are, like, no doubt. Uh, so that was month one. Ba- summed up right the the chicken on the salad analogy from your lunch i don't remember where all the chicken was but no. that that was month one it was survival it was getting to know myself surviving walking around the, i mean i'll go like three days without talking to someone but i was fed so much bullshit in society that it was like unlearning so much and my dialogue that i was having in my head was too heavy for me to even be able to share with anyone. It was so heavy that I was walking around like I might as well have been in star in an infinite Starbucks where I didn't have money to buy and it was just I didn't have anything to talk to with anybody. I was just walking. You think your identity before this trip was something that's sort of fed to you and there are little pieces of it that are true to you. But if you go and reboot like you did, it it comes out you're more you than your society. Oh, yeah. So it kind oh, of yeah. reverses itself. And, you know, I love that Imagine Dragon song, Pain, Make Me No Believer, because I unlearned everything except what actually hurt me. And what hurt me was my truth, because it wasn't a lie, because I felt it. 
and I knew some pain was malicious, and I knew that was the, you know, it's like, I wasn't dumb, all pain was pain, and it was truth, but I knew which pain was divine, which pain was a person being mean to me, what, I identified pain, and I wouldn't cry, I, I couldn't cry, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't do anything, like, I was, it's hard to explain it, but it was like being smushed in between two big pieces of glass, and there's mirrors on the other side, so I'm watching myself get smushed, I can't reach anywhere. I just got to let everything get smushed out and survive and eat like a little shitty food um, here and there. And you get better and you're getting better and better at survival. Easy. So, so yeah. how long were you out there? Well, that was month one, basically four months. Four months. Yeah, the month two, month three, month, basically like three months and then some change, something like that. So month two is where life got interesting because I started picking up books. Um, where were you, where would you get books out there? Pan had a whole bucket of books. He had a bucket of books, and I would just pick one out and I would read. But I'll tell you something: and there are people who it happens to, and they know one hundred percent. And there are people who it doesn't happen to, and I hope it happens to you sometime in your life. You open a book and you read it, and it's immediately exactly what you needed to read at that moment. It's like the literally where your eyes fell on the words is what you needed to read. So while I'm in the woods, I'm kind of diving into books, um, little by little, you know, religious books, uh, non-religious books, satanic books, cookbooks, self-help books, whatever it was. Whenever I opened it up, it was a blatant, like, this is the information you need. I was being uploaded with information. That was the start of it. And then um, then I kind of, you know, some would say I fucked up, but I definitely don't think so. I walked by this plant. It's called Datura stramonium. Okay, Tatora stramonium. Yeah, I found that out later. But it looked like a brain with spikes coming out of it. That seems not friendly. No, it was beautifully friendly because it was like puffy. I opened it away from my face and the air let out of it. And there was like this bright, luminescent, almost cotton-like seed inside of it. So, you know, I chew it. I chew it for like an hour and a half. Um, Wait, a little backtrack. How did you know to like eat it? Or chew on it. There was, what, I mean, I wasn't going to put it in any other hole in my body. Oh, yeah. So I was like, just chew it, see what happens. But a little before that, like a week before that, I started collecting coffee beans. And I was giving them to Pan. And he was like, dude, I don't know where you get all these coffee beans from, but this is gold on this island. Anyone you meet, any old farmer here, any old Hawaiian here, whoever, you can trade coffee for anything. Because they love the real coffee. They just don't have time in their day-to-day lives to go deep in the forest and find it. And I was every, every time I walked out, I was finding coffee beans. So I had a shit ton of coffee beans, and then I was rich. I was a rich guy. Was, you were like the coffee bean guy. I was a coffee bean guy. I would just give to Pan. He would go trade. And, I mean, I would come back to a table full of stuff. Full. I've, I still haven't eaten that good in my life. So they would give you, like, food in exchange for the coffee beans? Food, weed, whiskey. That's kind of all you need. That's all you need. For a bag of coffee, you're good. You're living the dream. All right? If only you didn't thought to bring coffee when you first got there. <laughs> when I'm going, I'm, if I'm going back, I'm going back with coffee beans. No, they know when it's real coffee beans. Yeah. Because you got to get like the ones that are in the red shell. They throw out the ones that are in the green shell. It takes like 11 days to roast them with the sun. That's what they do. They lay them out. Then they're like day five, they rake them over or they one by one flip the coffee beans over and they let it perfect with the sun. 
and it is super powered coffee. This is an art. It's an art, and they love it. What is this swill we're drinking here? I mean, no knock on Bluff City Coffee. Thanks. Honestly, I love this. We have some iced coffee here from Bluff City Coffee. If you're in Memphis, swing by, say hey to the staff, uh, get a strawberry gooey cookie. They're really good. So, advertisement aside, they don't have goat milk. No. No, but over there they had goat milk in their coffee. And now I'm starting to think about it. I'm like, man, you want some next level coffee? You put some goat milk in there. You want to talk about breaking the matrix? Like, so, whoa, there's a point to that. Maybe yeah. if you drink the goat milk from the matrix breaking animal, then you can like ascend. Yeah, something. I got to go do it. I didn't do it. So I basically really leveled yeah. one this thing until I got to the temple. Um, and that's like month three. So, so we're not at the temple yet. No, we're at the hallucina- hallucination drug called the Tourostromonium. All right, so it's this plant that looks like a brain, yeah. and you open it, but it's hallucinogenic, and I guess you don't know this. I don't know this, and not only is it hallucinogenic, it's a neurotoxin. Oh, great. Yeah, so anytime you ingest it, there is a strict 50% chance of you dying. Please tell me you only did this once. I will never do it again. It was so violent of a hallucination, and it lasts, can you guess how long it lasts? A whole day? Three days. Three days? Yep, 72 hours. This is awful. This is amazingly awful. Can you describe some of this? Yeah, I can describe it. it, It's not like traumatic to go back? No, it's beautiful. Because I I start chewing the seed, all right, and, you know, walk with me on this mountainside, looking up at further peaks, and the sun is on my left, and it's setting, and I'm walking, and I'm chewing it, and I mean immediately but i don't realize it my mouth is subtly numb everything goes numb good sign give it 30 minutes my whole body is numb i take off my shoes the rocks that usually hurt my feet don't feel i don't feel them so i am i'm sprinting on rocks I'm this a, is crazy a full-on sprinting uphill on rocks you feel like a superhuman totally nothing can hurt you you punch a meteor in space and you'll be fine on Datura, if it doesn't kill you when you ingest it. So I'm there doing, and then, and then I'm like, what do I have clothes on? I'm literally, I still have my wallet in my pocket. My identity means something. Yeah. I look at my license, I'm like, gently put it on the ground. Take everything out, I'm gently, as I'm taking it out, I'm feeling lighter, number. You know, I'm putting it all down. Take, I'm taking all, take all my clothes off. Leave them. So now you're naked sprinting in the woods. As the sun's setting. As all right. Behind me. Sounds cool. Behind me that I never look because I'm always looking at the sun. It is so beautiful. It's warm. You know, I'm staring into the sun. My eyes are numb. There's nothing that's really connecting my brain to my body. All of my, all of my nerve endings are independent. So I'm looking at the sun and it just feels good. And I go and sit down. And the clouds are rolling over as the sun is going down. And when the sun goes down, it's not just dark pitch black like i wouldn't be able to see you in front of me wow it's completely absolute dark is this the drug or is this like literally it's just a really dark night no it's just reality when it's that is when it's that cloudy when the clouds are gray and it's nighttime there's no stars there's no moonlight and you can't see any of the other islands and the ocean's pitch black and everything around you is pitch black there's no light coming from anything 
All right, so you're just out there. Literally, what you can see is most of like the glow of your body, like what little bit is bouncing off of you and the ground right next to you. Everything else, you're just in a. I mean, just go in a dark closet and close it. Try to look at your hand. You know, you know it's there, and you're like, oh no, I feel it. It's there, and you can kind of see, you know, a little out. Like give it like four hours, you can see like an outline. So I'm super numb for like four hours. And then what is known as a hallucination starts. So the tour hits you in four-hour waves. The first hour is euphoric. Like, like, you know, any other drug that gets you high is euphoric, is euphoric. So you're reaching that. I'm reaching euphoria, and it's perfect. Because, mm-hmm. like, I'm in, like, pitch black. Like, it's the best sleep that you're not sleeping. Hour two is, like, crack cocaine type of thing that I, from, that I understand. It's, like, you're hot and you're cold. You don't know how to feel. Your body's trying to simulate. Okay. Hour three is nothing. Hour four is out of your mind hallucination. Okay, so you're getting there. Yeah. Okay. So after I go out of my mind and I'm like around like pillars of light and like cosmic swirls, then I come back to this pitch black. I say to myself, and I know, I know for 100% fact, I'm dead. So this is it. You have finally died. Come fucking congratulations. You came here to die, and now you're dead. And now you're going to pay for your sins. Uh-oh. Yeah. While tripping. While this I is where your satanic books come back into play. All of them. The, you want to know the most satanic book I read? Yeah. The Holy Fucking Bible, dude. That's the scariest book on the planet. It is, it is pretty scary. Is it? I mean, Especially the end. All of it. All of it's scary. The Quran, scary. Torah, scary. They're meant to scare people. Yeah. The Buddhist stuff, ultimately kind of scary. It's like, oh, if you don't let go, you'll suffer forever. Because <laughs> it's all nice until that point. Yeah. Cookbooks, scary. They're like, just take your chopped up lamb and put it in the salad. Everything's scary, man. Everything's scary. This, so all these books are coming back to you in hallucinogenic form? No, it's not, it's not the books. I don't even think about the books. Okay. It's about my emotional response to life. It's about my memories. So my memories are really like very vibrant. You know, I'm thinking of my, my family. I'm thinking of my animals I've had. I'm thinking of my friends, everything. But I'm not thinking about any of it. They're just there. They're just present. And I'm there, and that's hour one. And I'm like, I'm dead. But then the geckos start doing their mating calls. I don't know if you've ever heard what? a gecko mating call. It sounds, I'm telling you, think of Disney witches laughing. Is a gecko's mating call to the T. Like, <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, a thousand times all around me. And it feels like they're like in the air, right? Yeah. So I go from like, oh my God, I'm dead. I'm paying for my sins to the witches around me. And this is where my fight kicks in, right? I'm like, I'm not going down even in death. You know, so I'm <laughs> F sick. these witches. <laughs> F you night witches. So I'm, I'm like standing up and I am just squeezing my body and I'm just yelling back at him. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you saw, if you look at this, I'm that guy on Union who's like yelling at you. <laughs> the, the guy, there's a guy in Memphis at a bus stop uh, and it just, I guess he's like a homeless guy or something, but he's, he yells, he just yells and like, he's the one that dances too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like yelling and dancing and it's like real crazy and. Just, like, bizarre. Like, just basically standing and yelling in place on the corner. And if you if your mind even wanders about him, he'll point at you and yell at you. Yeah, it's real, like... He's, he's real weird. He's a, guy, he's a, he's a wizard that kind of lost it. 
It could be like Pan's opposite. Dude, Pan's like one of the best, best ever. He's the nicest. This guy's not that nice. So and so you're surrounded by the gecko witches. Which by the way, I don't even know I'm in Hawaii. Like I don't know anything. Like I've I've the hour four of the first trip was so hard. Like all of the, my fantastical thoughts were around me that I don't know where I am at when I come back. It's totally disorienting. And I'm just like yelling. I'm yelling. All right. I'm yelling and then hour two hits. So I'm yelling at my euphoria, basically. Hour two hits and I'm like fading, right? I feel like I've yelled so much. I can't handle it anymore. These things don't let up. They don't care. Like <laughs> geckos. Like, of course they don't care. Yeah. And um, hour three hits and I'm just like, oh man, I'm, de- I'm, I'm going to die in death. So I like kind of lay down on the ground. My body's limp and I'm like pathetic. Our four hits, and then boom, dude, I'm hallucinating again. And it's fantastical. And as I'm hallucinating, out of the corner of my eye, the sun starts to rise. And I remember I'm alive. And I have never cried so hard in my life to remember that I'm alive. This is actually super profound. And, like, excellent timing. It was perfect timing. The sun might as well have been smiling with some shade. Like, I got you, fam. Like, I was like, I was like, oh, there's a sun. Things grow. I eat them. We're happy. You can hug people. I love people. You know? Like, it was like Jesus. It was like Christ-like love was happening to me. You found your love for life again. Yeah. On a super hardcore drug. So then I was like, man, I was like, wait a minute. Where's all my shit? I'm naked. (laughs) And I'm no longer, like, numb. In fact, I'm kind of hypersensitive. So I, like, tiptoe back. Find my clothes. Everything's where I left them. This is fantastic. Everything's where I left them, and I think the trip is over, right? I know things make you trip. I know it doesn't really last more than 24 hours. Right. So I go back to where I'm like... How, wait, how far did you get Like without your clothes? Like a long fucking way. I sprinted, you know, I got 400 meters like over like this hill to like this perfect sitting spot. So that's far ridiculous. Away. But you know, when the sunlight's back, I can see my trail. I can see my track. I think that's over half of a mile. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I was in good shape. I was like, I'm still, you know, I never quit training. Right. You know, I'm meeting Carlo. You can't quit training. He's like, dude, do you want to do some pull-ups? I'm like, no. He goes, you're right, dude. It's time for push-ups. <laughs> that's Carlo. So, so you find your way back to your clothes and then you're, you're like headed back to everyone else. I yeah, I'm heading back towards their general vicinity and I'm like, I can't wait to describe what I just went through. I'm in euphoria again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh no. I'm no. Like, it started again, but you don't realize it. I don't realize it. I'm skipping, man. You know, I got my shoes, which by the way, I had the, the worst shoes to go into the woods with. I had boat shoes. You know, those like <laughs> shitty frat boy Birkenstocks. Yeah. That's what I had. That's awful. Yeah, it was awful. Those are awful in everyday life. Yeah. And I had them in the woods. And I was like, but fuck it, it's better than barefoot. So I get back, and I'm waiting for Pan and all them to wake up, and there's a bag of tobacco. And I'm like, I'm going to roll me. I'm going to roll a smoke. I'm going to fucking enjoy life. Uh-huh. I'm going to enjoy life with the smoke here. <laughs> Let me tell you, about an hour later, I'm still trying to light this cigarette because I'm assuming there's a lighter in my hand. There <laughs> is no lighter in my hand. I have hallucinated the lighter to be in my hand. For an hour. So you're just like clicking your thumb in the I'm air. I'm clicking my thumb and breathing in. And I mean like literally just be like, like the whole time until Pam walks up and he's like, he's like, do you need a lighter? And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah. 
he gives me a lighter and um, literally he's like, dude, I got to go. And I was like, really good to see you, man. Re- thanks for everything. For real. Thanks for everything. And he's like, yeah, no problem. He's gone. <laughs> he just gave you a lighter. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm watching him leave. I'm watching from a far away distance, Carlo leave. And I'm just sitting there tripping fucking hard as shit. And I finally light this thing and it's just like first breath in. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. This grows on this planet. I love it. And I'm like, this is great. I got to go do something, right? Like, I can't just sit on my ass all day, you know? <laughs> I got to be productive. You got to be productive. But I'm like kind of smoking away. Like, it no longer, I'm no longer feeling like cracked out. I just don't feel that good. I'm kind of like, it feels like electricity is like in and out of my body, really. Okay. So I'm like, all right, it's time, it's time to hike. So I hike down to the road. I get down on the road, and when I get there, hour three hits, and um, like I'm just like zoinked, man. I'm just standing there. And, you know, I know my hair's up, and I'm just like dead eyed. And all of a sudden, this truck stops in front of me. It's one of the dudes who he's been getting coffee from me. Okay. Pans told me about this guy. He's like, Yeah, this dude I'm with, he's like Middle Eastern. He gives me coffee. He's like, Hey, man, you all right? You look fried. He's like, You look fried. I was like, I'm fine, man. Like, I just kind of, to be honest, I ate something. and I've been feeling kind of weird for, like, the past day. He looks at me. He goes, oh, you fuck with the Tura. Oh, he knew he immediately. He knew immediately because I was, like, super gone. He's like, look, man, we're going to go into town, and then we're going to go back to our place to hang out. You're welcome to get in the back of the truck. You can hang out with us for a little bit. We'll take care of you. Okay. I was like, all right. I get in the back of the truck. Two of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life. Are sitting in the back are of the truck. Are they real or are they like goats? Oh no, they're real. I immediately put my hands on their knees and like be like, hi. And then like they grab my arm, like, hi. They're from Spain. They're there to work on a farm. Like they're like some top level chicks. And they're super beautiful. And like my hour four hallucinations is their hair blowing in the wind as we're driving. And there's there's music coming off of their hair. There's like lines of music. Is it like Spanish music? I can't read music. I was like, I was oh, like, it's visibly like visibly written music. Written music. music. Yeah. I'm like visibly, I'm, I'm, it's hour four, like no connection to reality. They, I might not even like, I mean, of course it was a hallucination, quote unquote, but they were just a picture and off that picture, I started creating other pictures. Right, right. So going to town and as soon as I get in town, like as soon as I have like, you know, little cell service. Because we had, we had like a little grid. We had like a little, like a little solar-powered battery and we would take turns charging it for, for like literally anything. But you can use it for anything other than like photos, which I took like seven photos the whole time I was there. That's kind of perfect though, in a way. Yeah, you don't need them. And uh, so, look, you know, as soon as we get in town, my phone rings. It's my mom. She like knew. She knew as soon as, my, as, soon as I get in. So my mom is my dad and they're like, listen, we know like, I talked to him once before. I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm here. Don't worry about it. They freaked out, blah, blah, But I was like, can't do anything about it now. You know, I'm here. And they're like, well, all right. They had no idea what my reality was either. I didn't tell them. Um, you didn't tell them before you left Memphis? I told everybody the night before. Oh, I go, good call probably. They I would go, have talked you out of it. Oh, yeah. The night before I go, they were joking about, everybody was joking about a Hawaii vacation. Yeah, everybody jokes about a Hawaii vacation. Right. I go, listen, listen to me. I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. I didn't tell you guys, but... <laughs> I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. Nobody laughed. Nobody thought it was a joke. Nobody thought it was funny. And they still don't. <laughs> They're still like, that shit wasn't funny, dude. You told us like the night before you left. 
how irresponsible. And you were gone forever. Yeah. So you get into town and your mom and dad call you. Yeah. But you're still Tripping on this like neurotoxic. Fuck. Yeah, dude. But I, I'm like, it's so, it's so lovely. It's so lovely to hear their voice again. And they're like, listen, we know you're discovering yourself. And we just want to let you know that when you're done, we're ready to give you, we're not just ready to accept you back home. We're ready to help you go back to Iran so that you can re-see your culture and your roots. And we're not going to, we're not going to like keep you from flying and being free. We're going to help you. And it was like. They want to help you discover your identity. Yeah. And help me discover my identity. And it was all the love that. I never thought I could ask for. Mm. I never felt like I was allowed to ask to go discover who I am as an immigrant. Be like, I need to go back to my country and just smell the fucking dirt on the ground. Not worry about what President fucking Bush has to say or what, you know, whoever's got to say about what's going on in the world. Like, I just want to smell the dirt. I want to hug the people. I want to eat the food. Because it's part of you. Yeah, you were I'm, born there. It's, uh, you're of that earth. That part of the world. I, I believe now I'm of the whole earth and everybody is. Yeah. But I, you know, that was the first steps and it matters. It matters so much to everybody where you are. Like, whoever's listening, wherever you were born, you're of this planet. It is very special where you're born, but you should never feel not at home anywhere here. This whole place is your home. You're born to a really big house. And there are some people who want to keep some rooms away from you. And those people are wrong. You have every right to be anywhere as long as you're peaceful. And I, I, I couldn't get myself to believe that. I couldn't get myself there until I was tripping so hard. And until my parents, out of the graciousness of the divineness of time, could reach me at the exact moment I got self on service. So, you know, most people would be trying to hit on those girls on the way back. I was crying the whole time. Crying and tripping, of course. Like, what was their reaction to you? They were, you remember? I, I'm telling you, they're goddesses. They were so perfectly loving. And I'll, once, once we get to the end of the story, I know this whole thing is basically fantastical, but then, I mean, the ending of this night is even more so. Because we're getting back and the sun is setting, so we're all watching this like, incredible sunset. And there's a fire, and the guy who owns a farm is a super old guy named Charles, super long white beard. His plants are the best. Like he's just crossbred these things. He's Charles Darwin. Like he's crossbred these things forever. He's got a son named Orion, who's just a super cool dude. He's there for like 15 minutes. And he's like, oh, you're on the tour? That's fucking crazy, man. Like, enjoy it, okay? Just try to enjoy it. Like, if you made it this far, you're not going to die. Just enjoy it. Well, that's reassuring. It was. Yeah, that's good. And so... Nighttime comes, and um, most of my life, I'm basically kind of like a hermit, immigrant, student, athlete. Like, I spend 15 hours a day studying, working out, and when I go out, I basically, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm just like out there, like, hi, what's up? <laughs> uh, my name's Keon. Uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I'll clap for you if you do something cool, I guess, you know? Yeah. So, then these girls start bathing each other in the ocean under the moonlight while I'm tripping. <laughs> And I like with a jug, like an old Greek style jug, like one is laying back and she's like pouring water on her hair and she's brushing her hair. And then she's doing it to the other one and they're like giggling and rolling around for hours. These girls can do it for hours. I was like, what? What are y'all on? You know? <laughs> what, who are you? I'm still not convinced they're real. Like, this is so crazy. 
It's me, this super old guy who has a bedtime, and these two girls from Spain who are bathing each other in the ocean. And, um, you know, then we just go lay down by the fire. We all hug. Everyone, everyone's cool, though. Like, it's not like you're in the bushes creepily. No, no, this is like a pretty established little area. He's got like a place off the beach. Like, he, he's been around. He's established with the natives and with all the people. Like, so it's cool. Like, you're all hanging out, and then they're like, we're going to go do this thing in the ocean. You're like, cool, I'll be here on the beach. No, there's, there's no, like, me moving. Like, what, from where we were, like, it's just right there. Oh, like, okay. He had gone to bed, and I was just, like, sitting where I was sitting next to the fire. And they were just 12 feet away in the ocean, you know? I wasn't, like, creepy about it. I didn't approach them at all. Yeah. It was very neutral, but I was like, this is beautiful. Honestly, it was just like... Like, it's just a beautiful moment. This is beautiful. And this, the moonlight is thick. It's, like, thick on the ocean. It's, like, bright. Their skin color is, like, bouncing off with the moon. And, you know, I'm just by the fire. They come. They, you know, we hug. We all hug for, like, a kind of almost... You know, you would be like, oh, it's too long of a hug and off the space. That was all I got, you know? Okay. Just a hug, and we lay down around the fire, and we fall asleep. And the next morning, like three hours later, I don't really sleep, you know? I pretended to sleep because these beautiful goddesses were like, we're going to go to sleep now. I'm like, whatever you wish, I will do now, basically. (laughs) Right. I'm a fucking idiot on drugs. Like, whatever you want. And uh, I wake up, and guess what's looking at me? A rooster? A goat. I told you they were goats from the beginning. (laughs) It's two goats by the fire, isn't it? No, 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 no. The girls are there. But also the goat. But also the goat. He came to check on you. He came to check on me, and he's chewing on something. And he's a billy goat. He's got, and I thought it was Pan. (laughs) But two whole seconds, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like, oh, shit. And then I look in his eyes. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, what the fuck? Oh, shit. So (laughs) this thing's not moving anywhere. (laughs) Okay, it's not going. It's just standing by me. And um, I kind of grab this, like, billy goat thing. I kind of, like. Gives me like this evil stink eye, and I just stare into his eye. And I guess my hallucination starts again because I dive into that eye, and it's like rectangular, wriggly colors, and it made sense. Everything I saw in the first hour made sense. It was in the goat's eye the whole time. I was me- <laughs> You looked into the eye of the Matrix. You basically, I looked back in time into what I was hallucinating in the beginning, and it was perfect. And from when I was yelling, I could re-see myself yelling in the perfect pitch black of its eye, and I could see myself grabbing the corners of existence and pulling them down into the moment that we were in and bringing all of those colors that were around it around life, and the life was the nothingness inside of the thing's eye, and the colors fit perfectly in the rectangle. And that's when I freaked out. That's when? That's when my mind freaked out. This has never really happened to me, where I sweat, kind of cry, I get queasy, like a real hardcore panic attack. And the girls start freaking out. The billy goes fucking freaking out. It, chew, it chews on his rope and it escapes. I'm freaking out that hard. I can't control myself. They bring me water and they bring me a spliff, you know. And I remember when I drank water, I was looking at her and I go, you're the love of my life. I'll never see you again. You've saved my life right now because you're beautiful because you gave me water. You are the love of my life. I will never have a love of my life because you exist right now. You saved me when nothing else would. I still believe that. I really hope there's a happy ending to that. I, will ne- I don't remember what she looks like. <laughs> oh, you'll never know. I will never know. I don't know what her name was. I don't know anything. Because guess what? They were leaving like, the next day. 
It was like the maybe very, one day you'll be in Spain. I hope at so. A bullfight in Sevilla, and I get gored, and she comes with a with water with the water. I would hope it's fine. I'll live without love in my life and not get gored. I'm all right with it. No, I don't know. She wasn't. You know, love came to mean a lot of different things, but in that moment. I learned love by drinking that water that she gave me from the energy she gave me. She was saving me and uh, sat there and smoked the spliff. And I was like, I was like, all right, man, it's time for me to, time for me to go. Like there's not much else here. And that's when I met an elder. So I was, I was walking and there was this dude. He looked like Gandhi. He was a skinny old dude, kind of like jacked, kind of ripped up. He was on a bike I was walking as he was riding by. I go, I pull my thumb out and I go, hey man, uh, can you give me a ride? And he immediately stopped the bike, got off the bike, gave me the bike. He goes, this is your bike. It's too big for me. It's your bike. Are you serious? Yeah. I was like, no man, I can't take your bike. Like you just get, he goes, no, it's too big. I don't want it. And I was like, oh, by the way, I just, from the books, I had kept a Gandhi book in my bag. And I was like, look, man, I gotta give you this book at least, because you're on the book. You look like Gandhi. You look like a super jacked Gandhi. Right. So I give him this book and he starts rubbing it on his face. He goes, Oh, 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 so much pain, so much love. Oh. I was like, Oh, this dude's interesting. Like, I, could, I could I could put off seeing Pan and them for a few days. What was he like feeling from the book? Just the energy. Yeah. So then I was like, Hey man, you wanna like walk around? Do you smoke? Like what what do you do? He's like, yeah, sometimes it's cool. You don't go on a walk, we can go on a walk. And he just he just took off. So I started following him in the woods. He's got a machete too. Uh his machete's on his back. He's wearing a, like a kind of like a wife beater and like some like raggedy old pants. And we go and he just stops dead in his tracks. And this like 60-year-old dude climbs like a 60-foot tree. He climbs all the way to the top. He takes his machete off. He starts whack, whacking off branches. What's he doing? I don't. I didn't know. I'm just standing there, and he climbs down, and I noticed that the place he whacked it created sunlight to land on this shrub, and he sat next to this tiny little tree, and he started crying. And like, so like for like five minutes, I'm just ten minutes where I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Is he about to fall and die? You know, yeah. he's super strong. Like he's he's not just climbing. He's like talk, like he's like grabbing in one arm, lifting and grabbing with another arm. And he started sat, sat down by the tree, started crying, and I was like, "Okay, man, like, I, I can learn something from this dude. You know, like he's been here." So I spent a lot of time talking with him, and he took me on a hike to this other part of the island, and the the mountain peak of it was called Kamehameha. That sounds so familiar. So King Kamehameha was the Hawaiian king, and they they were like, "This guy's God." They described him as God. He was like. Basically, like NBA player size when everybody was like five one. Yeah, he's the tallest people were five one. He's like seven four. And he's like a god king. He's a god king. Yeah, he's like o- OP as he gets. And he has the Hawaiians build this temple called Ililiopai. And that's when I get to the temple, and he tells me he says, "It's your duty because I can't do it. I'm too too weak. It's your duty to clean this temple. And when you clean this temple, you'll bring everybody together." And when you bring everybody together, then you're free to go back to your people. And he knew, he knew I was like destined to go back to Iran. He this knew. is so wild. 
Yeah. Help me put together the time frame a little. Is, do you meet the guy on the bike immediately after you, the morning with the Billy Goat? Yeah, I'm, I'm walking. I'm walking back to mile 12. I'm like a mile like 15. So I'm like, and you meet this shaman, basically, which is also weird because you're like camping in the shaman. Shaman burial ground, yeah. Yeah. You go to the forest, you climb up a mountain, get to the temple, and he says, okay, clean this. You're going to bring our people together, and then you can go to your people. Yeah. Because, and this is why, King Kamehameha's son, he wasn't seven-something. He was still a big dude. And the people didn't revere him the way they did did Kamehameha. Like, there was a lore and a mythology around Kamehameha. So, people didn't do bad things. But when Kamehameha died, their god-king died. Their morality diffused. It was catastrophic. Catastrophic people were doing bad things. So, what what the son would used to do, he and his buddies, who, like, were, like, I mean, like, wide receiver, NFL wide receivers. Like, they were as fast as it gets, as strong as it gets. They could see in the dark. They could sprint in the dark. I actually started training like him because in my anger towards my youth, I wanted to be so strong that when I went back into my home, I would be like, okay, I've survived this long, this far. I'm this strong. I'm going to go and kill the people who limited my life, who made such discord in the world that I had to... This is like all going on in your mind, like, like sort of like fantastical, like, I want to be this, you know, it'd be like me running around thinking like in my head, I'm going to be like a Scottish warrior or something. Yeah. 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 But like I'm in the woods, I got a machete and all I can do is train. So I'm looking at this temple, it's three layers of stone. Oh, so the sun would light a big fire on the mountaintop and they would run down the mountain and they would kill random people, like just randomly. This when, is like back in the day. Back in the like day. Like obviously not right Yeah, now. so this, yeah. that was our law and order. When somebody did something heinous and it was known, he would go and kill random people and be like, do you really want evil in the world? If you want evil, I, your leader, will be the evil. You don't have to be the evil. So he was like righteously being evil. That's a hard concept to wrap my head around. It probably is a product of like our society here. So we kind of do the same thing, you know? We're like, no, you can't have gangs. You can't have street violence. We have police, and they govern, you know? Same concept, less govern. Like, we have, we have levels of authority above authority. Okay, okay. They didn't. It was like six dudes, you know? And so that started happening, but he started getting okay with murder. So Ililio Pai was this place where once a week, whatever you were working on, whether it was pottery or art or a skill, the masters would come to this temple and they would teach the young. They would teach everybody freely. They're like, this is what I'm doing. If you want to learn, come with me. If you want to adventure, come with me. You know, I made this stuff if you want it. But he was like, I am a master of death. And if you want somebody dead, you bring them up here. So Ililio Pai turned into like, the executioner's temple. So it transformed, like the usage of it transformed into this yeah. master of death, deathly hollows type yeah. situation. But they're also accustomed to going there that they were going there for a while. And he killed a lot of people. And this is the spot that you're at now. Yeah, this is the spot, this is the spot where I'm at. Like and in the story, yeah. you're about to clean this temple. So this elder, called him uncle, that's, he was telling me the story. And he pointed behind the temple, there was a path. And he said, this path leads to a very sacred, still very native Hawaiian place that no one's allowed to go to. And if you're lucky, they might come to you and give you something. 
that you'll see why no one's allowed to go there. Okay. So I'm at this temple, and there's three levels, and I have my machete, and it's like daytime, but at the bottom, there's so much shade from these, these like little trees that have grown in between the rocks that are like about the size of most people's wrists. Uh-huh. So I'm with my machete, and I'm just, I'm lopping them off, you know? And in my head, I'm training. I'm getting ready. Right. So I'm lopping all these off, and I get the, I remember getting the first like layer down, and I'm like exhausted. But just a little bit of sunlight breaks through. And I remember when he lopped off the tree and sunlight breaks through. I get a second win, and I hit the second level. And that's all I can do in day one. By the time I'm finished with that, you know, the sun is basically down. So I go and lay down on, on top of the temple. Everything else is too far away. And then I hear the drums again. That's when I hear the drums. I hear the 12 o'clock, and I'm like, oh. But at this point, I'm like kind of ready, you know. I'm hearing the drums, and I'm like kind of shaky. But I know I'm not on, I know I'm not tripping, no, like I'm okay, you know. Um, this is still only really a couple of miles as the crow flies from Pan's place. Yeah, but I'm deep in the woods. Right. So to try to get back there is like, you're going to get lost. Yeah. But, but the drums are like, it, if you could have heard them the first night. If they're like real physical drums, you would have heard them. Yeah, it, w- it, would, have, it would have been different. If I heard them the first night from where I was when I was on the temple, the 12 o'clock would have sounded like 3 o'clock. Okay, so it's totally so you know, not really, it's not it that. can't be real drums because the sounds are all in, exactly depending on where you're oriented. Exactly. Okay. So I'm like kind of freaking out. The moon's starting to get full. It's not quite full. So it's really bright. I can't sleep. And the drums go on for a little bit. But I'm like so beat by life itself that I don't need to sleep. I'm just kind of like resting in my exhaustion. I'm like, I know I'm exhausted. It's fine. I'm just going to wait until my like pump, my body pump wears down. I'm going to finish what I'm doing. I finally have an objective. I finally get back to, get to go back to like, so like my family, you know, my home. I just got to get this done for these people. And I'm hearing these drums like it's weird, but that's cool. So the second day comes around. I'm sore, but I'm lopping them and I'm, I'm chopping them down. And I'm working on the other side, you know, in the front side. And I, I notice there's this little arch. And on the arch, there's some like, some like scribing. It's got some moss on it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what if something really big was buried here? What if this wasn't just a temple? What if they buried something really big here? Like a dragon is what I felt. I was like something dinosaur-like, something huge. Something, prehistoric. Something powerful. Something that they revered. And I was like, I don't know, you know, like whatever. It's just a thought that comes in your head. Like just what if they buried a dragon here? Yeah. And I'm getting very used to the sounds that are around me. I mean, I'm talking about if something 100 meters away cracks a piece of stick, I hear it. Mm-hmm. So I get through with like the front side of the temple on the, on the first, sec, first and second level. And uh, the, the very back level like what it, it is cornered into the mountain. So there's only like half of a rectangle available for stuff to grow. Sure. And the second night I'm laying down on the temple again. I got plenty of food. I'm living good. Second night I'm laying down and I hear, I hear footsteps. And I mean hundreds of people's footsteps around this temple. But they're going into the mountain. 
Like they're walking when there is no way to walk. Do they sound like shuffling or is it like a whoomp, whoomp, whoomp? It's like a whoomp, whoomp, and it's breaking sticks. It's phys- I'm hearing the physical breaking of sticks and the physical stepping on leaves. But there's nothing to see. I'm paralyzed of fear. And it is all around me. So like the places where you can walk, I hear it. The places where you can't walk, I hear it. So it's 100% in my mind. I'm like, these are spirits. And for, and I speak audibly. I'm like, if I'm okay being here, like give me a sign. And I'm, I'm feeling them touch me. I'm oh. feeling many of them come and touch me. And like, you know, you get the chill on your face. You get the chill on your body. You can feel them. Yeah. And they're all over me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So like, I finally found this weird peace in the spirit world. Before it was like, oh, this is not life. Oh. But now I'm like, oh, this is, this is life. It's a connection to this. This is where life is. Then the next day, I'm feeling charged, man. I'm feeling like a superhero. And I am like, I don't, I don't even have fear that my machete is going to slip out of my hand and cut me. I am hitting these things so hard, they're like flying. And I clear the top level. And as I'm clearing it, like sunlight is like blasting through into the jungle. And as the sun's setting, the, the sunlight is lighting up more of the jungle. It's lighting it up all the way into the path that I originally came from. It all makes sense. If the sunlight is so inviting, the people are going to come. So the third night, um, I'm laying there and I hear the stones move. The stones that I'm on. I hear them Underneath you. Underneath me. I hear them all move. And I hear a roar. I hear like a beast, something massive roar. And I could feel the essence of the, the image of life that I'm in. I can feel it take off. And I realize what the dragon is. The dragon is the, like every little particle of nothing in between every particle is this dragon. And it flies. And I can feel it. And it feels like I'm being ripped and flown away. I can feel that. Do you think that by clearing the temple, you set the dragon free? Free, yeah. And it knew. How long do you think it had been covered in growth like that? Hundreds of years. Really? Yeah. And it just happened that this guy just knew, like, you're the guy to clear it. Nobody else would go into the shaman burial ground. Nobody else would go to the temple. I don't think people were, like, fitting up. Like, it was an overwhelming task. It took me like a cumulative 30 hours, three days, more. Constantly chopping Constantly. away these thick branches and shrubs. Yep. Like wrists thick. Wrist and thick. they're live, so they're hard to chop. Yep. But they're super moist. They're ready to go. Yeah. And uh, I hear that, and I'm about to flip out and run. You're afraid of the dragon. I'm afraid of the dragon. I'm afraid of everything at this point. I get off the path. I run down the path. And I see the elder and I see Carlo. And they're, they're at the end of the path right there. Carlo had met this guy after he had taken me to the Ililio Pie. And he, Carlo was like, I know this guy. And the guy was like, yo, I know him. He's doing this. Let's go see him. So when I was done, when that thing left, they were right there. So we gathered all the wood that I cut. And we put it on top of all the stone, and we burned it. And it was this massive fire. Carlo and I were meditating at again, and like a signal fire. Signal fire, but it was it was strange. Like you know, it should have had way more smoke. 
but nothing. Like it was just, it was such a massive burning fire. There was, there was smoke, but like 12 feet above it. Uh, so that was the temple. And the temple, Ililiopai means big things out of little things. Big things can only come out of little things. That's insane. Yeah. So, so from there, you're free to go back to your people. Yeah, but I'm still, I haven't even like booked the ticket. Like, I'm still kind of free flow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And this elder's like, he's like hugging me. He's like, you did it. You don't know it. You don't even know it. You did it. You finally did it. And I was like, awesome. And he's like, we're going to leave you alone. It's time for you to pray. You, you get to pray for the whole world now. What do you want to pray for? So I'm thinking about it like all day, right? I'm so in the spirit world that I'm like, I get to make one good prayer. What's my prayer? So finally I like draw my machete and I'm like in the air and I'm looking and I'm like, open everyone's eyes to everything. They have to see everything. Open them up. And the day after that is when the revolts started in Ukraine. No way. Yep. Day after. That's when everybody poured out in the street. And I don't know if you remember the chronology of events, but like every country after that revolted. Was that the beginning of the Arab Spring? Yeah, that happened shortly after. So it was the start of everything. It was the start of everything. And I was in the woods. And then, I, and then I, when, I, when I got my hands on a Bible and I opened it, so my American given middle name is John. Yeah. And I opened it to a page that said, I am the John that calls to God from the jungle. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. And after that, I was like, it was like vacation mode. It was like, you did what you did. You get to like chill a little bit. I met some, you know, I went, I went back to Charles. He had these girls from San Francisco helping him out. I hung out with them for a few nights. Pain came around. We all hang out. You know, we were meeting people from, like everybody all of a sudden came to hang out. Just meeting people. It's sort of like a celebration at the end of it was a, It was a really, a truly happy ending. And I did have a drunken rap battle with Sean. Did you win? No, nah, dude, he smoked me. <laughs> it wasn't even close. Even though you you freed the dragon, you still can't beat the drunk at freestyle rap. Listen to me. I go, what did you... He, he, he lived in Seattle. I go, what did you do there? He goes, I was an underground rapper. I was like, man, this super skinny virgin underground rapper. And his stories are honestly too crude to like share. But he went there. Like, he went that crude. Like It's amazing. I think it's an amazing story. Um, you know, on this this show, we try to tell great stories. We give people as much time as they need Thank you. to do it. And, uh, I mean, I thought Malik had a cool tale. And, and no knock on Malik, but damn, dude, that's some crazy shit. Yeah. And there there's some stories woven in to it. I mean, like, there's other stories woven in. But this was the story of the story that I shared with you. I know it was a little lengthy in a way, but it... It had to be, like, I had to put you there with me, and it had to make relevancy, and time had to make sense with it. I think it's amazing if you go back and you think about the Greyhound bus, the Denny's, the casino, meeting Pan in the village, you know, the lady on the airplane, and it all kind of leads up to this moment where you have this life epiphany, and you complete this, like, overwhelming task super spiritual crazy thing that you had to be on that specific part of the planet to get to it just to me says when you left you said it everything was stacked against you you kept going 
And I think there's always that moment in any adventure where you have to push through something. It was hard for you. You for real almost died. Many times. There was, you know, some things I didn't bring up, like a few nights. One night I was so tired that I couldn't stay awake and it started a real torrential downpour rain. And I couldn't move, I was tired. And the mud was caking around the rock and it was filling my pockets and it was literally burying me alive. And I was falling asleep and I had to wake up and break out of the mud and lay back down. But it was, it was all I had. And when you go on a journey like this, which everyone must in their life, it happens. Ultimately, your greatest enemy is yourself. If I had known, if I was a knowing being when I went on this journey, I wouldn't have gotten into half the stuff that caused me pain. But because I didn't know myself and because I was searching and because I was denying myself my own truths that I knew, I got into trouble. But following, following your spirit got you out of it. Oh, yeah. You think so? Yeah, following spirit, listening to my heart and my mind, being determined, and ultimately having, this, having the faith of a mustard seed, you know? It's like, this is not my end. Even my end is not my end. Because I connected so deep with the spirit world. I'm like, it's not the end. And when you really believe it's not the end, you get this other level of energy and this other level of insight into the moment. And it lets you live. It lets you make those decisions to live. So I guess as, as we kind of wrap up here, and I want to talk to you maybe another time about going back to Iran and, and that, because you're one of the few Americans that can do that right now. Yeah, and that, that's all the, the mystical side of my adventure took off in Iran because once I woke up to the multiverse, to the, you know, existence of it all, that's when it really took off. And you want to talk about aliens, you want to talk about angels, you want to talk about seeing beyond the veil of this life, it happened there. We're going to have to get you back to talk about that, man. That's crazy. Uh, A couple of questions before we wrap up. Uh, One is, where do you think Pan is today? He's he he's there, he's there. Um, he probably he hopefully has a girlfriend right now. This dude is a lover of women. He's a great dude, um, in the sense that we all should be. Like whenever he met a woman, he was like, "How can I?" First, he'd say, "How can I help you, sister?" Mm-hmm. Then he'd say, "How can I help you, mother?" And then when those were done, he'd say, "How can I help you, lover?" And I learned that from him. I learned to do that from him. And also, whenever he met an elder lady, he was like annoyingly like. What do you need moved? How, how can I help you make your living situation better? So he was just trying to put good energy into the world? Yeah. I mean, he, he treats people right? He treats people right. He's nonstop. Yeah. You know? So he's probably still out there. Oh, he's out there. Are you, are you able? I mean, I guess you, your friends out there are out there. So you're not really able to reach out. I can leave a message and I can wait for them to reach me. Yeah. So you can call the city and leave a message or I can I can wait for them to get into the city. Yeah. And when they have service. Recently he got himself a little boat, like a little canoe boat. So he's out in the coves and the caves. He's having a blast. God bless him. Would you ever go back to the temple? hundred percent. I can't wait. But I have to I won't go I won't go against myself to go do that. It has to be right. It has to be right. Do you feel like the spirits gave you permission to be there? Yeah. Not just the spirits. Every, you have to ask everything for permission. You have to ask the rain permission to drink it. You have to ask the food in front of you permission to eat it. You have to ask the people around you 
permission to interact. You got to ask the trees permission and they'll listen. And when you see that every living, every bit of everything in this life is listening, then you're here. Otherwise, you're just blind and little deaf, you know, and trying to force your way into a place which is already accepting you completely. So you have to ask that permission. You have to be humble in the sense that you are never meant to do anything, but you're meant to do it all as long as you are polite and have permission. Last thing I have for you is do you feel more comfortable at home having come back after experiencing all this? Yeah. I know I feel more comfortable in time. Time became my home because I scripted away from the time that's given to us. I fell more into the, the, the time of the solar system. I fell more into the time of, oh, the sun's up. I have this energy. I get to do this. The sun's down. I have this energy. I get to do this. And I did that long enough, and I realized, oh, there's so many people who are doing the same thing. And my home became that and became those people. And I've become belligerent at some points, and I've become profoundly wonderful at some points. That's just a home. I'm just, you know, I'm figuring it out now, and I'm, you know, we're using frequency and vibration and mental thought to connect to one another, and we are really operating on a higher plane than maybe ever before, or maybe this is how it's always been, and we're just becoming very aware of it. And we're finding one another all the time, and we're like, hey, man, I see you. You're my brother. Hey, I see you. You're my sister. I see you. You're a dog, but you have some crazy insight. You're a goat, but you're breaking the matrix. You're a bird, but you're, you know, controlling me sometimes or whatever, but you're beautiful. So it gets a little deeper as we go along. It's fascinating stuff, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing it. Uh, If you guys are in Memphis, head over to Memphis Rocks. Go see Keon. He'll be hanging around somewhere. Can't miss him. (laughs) Look forward to seeing all of you. And thank you for hearing me out. You know, it's definitely very... It's my pleasure, man. Much the atmosphere. Definitely much the person to hear this story. Remember that guitar, that museum in Tennessee. Name played on the glass, brought back 20 melodies. And the scratches on her face told of every time he fell, singing every story he could tell. And oh, Still rings just like a bell And I hope that we can sit back on a bed in some hotel Sing you all the stories we can tell